fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far right podcast, Rebel News, and then place my mental health into a blender and spoon feed the remains to my friend Caitlin. Great. This episode will be covering the week of October 14th. How are you, Caitlin? I'm doing okay. Update on my cold. It turned into an ear infection and it developed into vertigo. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) It's all because of Jody. It is. It's all my fault. This is the last show we have before the election, Caitlin. And I just want to tell everyone to go vote. October 21st is the time to do that. Go vote. I also want to mention that there's a small correction uh, well, it's not really a correction. I was just like, what was that thing that Doug Ford did? It's a, it was called the notwithstanding clause. And that was in relation to our talk about whether, whether or not Singh can do something about uh, Bill C-21. And my point was that if he challenged it in court, it's just going to ta- or waste taxpayers' money. And when it gets to it, uh, the Quebec government can just use the notwithstanding clause and basically... All that wasted tax money for a fight he knows he's going to lose, which is why he's not supporting some kind of legal battle for Bill C-20. And I agree with him. I mean, and I also think the other part of that was that he probably one way of fixing it is fixing the culture in Quebec. And there's myriads of ways of doing that such that they will elect a government on their own that's going to withdraw that bill without going through some sort of legal fight. With that out of the way, I also want to uh, now move into our patron shout out portion. So I want to shout out a new patron, Alex, who we know through the PSAC. So hi, Alex, and thank you. And I also want to give uh, another patron shout out to Tim, who we already acknowledged, but now he upgraded to the $5 super cool person position. Oh, wow. Uh, And that means he's going to get a shout out every month, but we're going to give him a shout out now because why not? (laughs) So thank you, Tim. And, uh... One last thing before we get into the uh, Imperial Roundup segment. Uh, we didn't mention this last week, but I guess two weekends ago now, uh, we got retweeted by both oh, Ezra yes. Levant and Sheila Gunn-Reed. And I had no idea what they what we were referring to. <laughs> and it was weird because I'm pretty sure what happened. I basically created a meme. It was one of those Eric Andre memes where... Uh, Eric Andre is shooting Hannibal Burris, and then and then he basically goes, "Who shot Hannibal?" And the meme I set up was I had Hannibal Burris listed as the media party, and Eric Andre listed as Rebel News, and so Eric Andre is shooting the media party, and then uh, the next one was, uh, "Oh, why why does the media party hate us?" Right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> so he just shot the media like because their whole show is. Uh, to like spell out the joke the whole show is the media party sucks and i hate the media party and yet they're constantly like asking to be let into things they're like why does the media party not like us and we have to fight our way through court battles uh and anyway so i go out of my way not to like directly at rebel news because i don't want to draw too much attention to us only because i know he he is litigious to a certain degree so i just kind of want to avoid that for the for the meantime but then he, so what I'm guessing is he searched Rebel News into the Twitter thing at, right at the time when I posted that, such that it came up. And then he retweeted it. And then Sheila Gunn Reed retweeted it. But, uh, said our gun is cocked and loaded. Something like yeah, that. it's it just was just like, weird. but our bullets are the truth. Or something. It was weird. <laughs> it was like they were just totally incoherent to like what was actually 
Yeah. But that meme was referring to, so. Well, I mean, Ezra was on point. He said that our meme was kind of true. And I was still like, you know, kudos to Ezra. But then Ezra's like, but still, it's illegal what they're doing. They should let us into the debate or whatever. And he ended up winning the court case. But the thing, too, like, the thing that surprised me is because, like, I don't even think he checked out our profile. I... I don't even think he it registered in his head that the image on our uh, it's his face <laughs> is his face ah. <laughs> or or the pun because we're Imperial yeah. News he's Rebel News I don't even think he picked up on any of that he just saw the meme retweeted it and gave that blurb so yeah in a weird way he kind of knows who we are now <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he like really knows who we are but Maybe uh, he's listening right now so ooh. hi Ezra yeah hi Ezra and now for the Imperial Roundup hello my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. All right. On uh, October 11th, which was the Friday of last week, Ezra claims that at the post-debate scrums, Rebel got to ask the most questions. Wow. And here's the thing is I didn't go back to watch the scrums to count each individual question. So I don't know if he's lying about it, but I actually highly doubt it. So they got to ask three questions. There was uh, and he's counting lot Lawton into this, even though Lawton's not officially a, a rebel. Uh, is he with true North? He is with true North. So yeah. he's counting someone who shouldn't be in this, this count, but uh, he's claiming they got to ask the most questions, Aww, but that man. seems weird. Cause you got CBC, Al Jazeera, <laughs> CTV, uh, but apparently Rebel got to ask those. Oh, they're destroying the media party. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, because they had to, like, elbow their way up to the, the question mic. <laughs> and I'm not joking. Like, they he he plays, like, several clips of, like, Kian and David Menzies getting into, like, uh, debates about oh my holding gosh. the line. And, yeah, just really, really petty, petty stuff. Yeah, and so he goes on. He says the most hostile... Uh, criticism they received was not from the candidates but from the media party itself and (laughs) it was really embarrassing the other thing i want to touch on in this episode is like last week uh, we uh, played a lot of clips of ezra talking about rosemary barton and playing that clip of her asking uh, trudeau about what books he likes to read Mm -hmm. and stuff like this and this week he gets the same mileage out of another clip that goes all the way back to 2014. So this is even before Trudeau became prime minister. And it was an interview with a guy named Tom Clark, who's a global news reporter. And in this clip, the reporter jokingly asks what shampoo Trudeau uses. Okay. And Ezra plays this clip. They, like, this isn't the first time he's played it since we've been listening either. But he plays this clip over and over again. And <laughs> the thing is... He so he uses these both Marie Barton's like what books do you read and their shampoo clip are his two favorite go to clips whenever he's talking about like liberal media bias yeah and like they're examples from 2014 and then 2018 so it's like in all those years those are the two examples that you have and not only that it's like if you actually listen to those interviews themselves in context they asked. Way more questions. Some of them really deep and uh, difficult. Not just, hey, what shampoo do you use? Yeah. So, Ezra, good job. (laughs) 
Next, Ezra gets into some weird debate with uh, David Aiken again, the guy I, I kept calling Clay Aiken, about whether or not Rebel News should legally be allowed into the parliamentary press gallery. Ezra's argument seems to be that because the press gallery is part of the government, it shouldn't be allowed to discriminate against Rebel News. But the problem is who, who gets to be a part of the press gallery is determined by the Press Gallery Association with a final decision by the Speaker of the House. The role of the Speaker is supposed to be impartial. Doesn't mean that they aren't free from bias and like other stuff. Yeah. But it's supposed to be impartial. And the reason of having the association is because, again, there is limited space. Like if you're having like a press thing, you can't pack the room full of 3,000 people when the room only sits maybe... 300. I don't know. I'm making up numbers here. But the point is you need some sort of body to adjudicate who who we can let in and who, who we're not going to let in. Or, you know, maybe we just don't need to let in rebel news. Yeah. Whatever. Well, that's the thing. Is So the Press Gallery Association sets their own standards and they've come out saying that they're not going to allow in reporters that support white supremacy and they feel that rebel fits that model and I yeah. don't disagree with them. And this was the response to, to Keon uh, that prompted the... Uh, uh, them being let out of the debates and they won the legal battle. And here's the thing with the legal battles. What what they won was not access to the press gallery. It was a temporary stay that allowed them into the two debates. Okay. And now that they got into the two debates, they kind of have to keep fighting the legal battles to get all the access that they want to get. Okay. And it's not clear that they would win that battle. But uh, as you can are going to see in the next few things, uh, this is something that they're going to be fighting for for the next while. Oh, great. <laughs> so Ezra then uh, interviews Kian. And so he's interviewing one of his interviewers. Yeah. <laughs> Which this is, is what I mean. Like, it's it's like, so... You think they would change it up a bit. Like, get some new people on the show. Get some new faces. But what... it's just like the same group of people. Because no one wants to be their friend. And over again. <laughs> I would, would you want to be their friend? <laughs> well, gonna... I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not saying this is a good thing, but there are quite a few people out there that are aligned with their ideology. You think they? Well, we're gonna get to it in the main segment, but there's reasons why they became ostracized. Okay. I'm gonna play this clip, which to me is uh, a perfect distillation of why this court case is bad news. Being a uh, journalist is an activity. You just sort of do it. Yeah. Um. There's no, it's not like being a doctor where you have to have a certain certification in a professional. Oh, really? mm -hmm. So it's, anytime someone says, are you accredited journalist? It's a little bit of BS. But I think it's fair to say that in this entire country, with the thousands of journalists from coast to coast, you, David Menzies, and our friend Andrew Lawton from True North have the most reputable, authoritative, and commanding certification of any journalist in the country. No one less than a federal court judge says, you're a journalist. You can tell what they're saying here is that, oh, look, the court said we're journalists. And therefore, we're the most approved journalists in all the land. I feel like most of their show is them just boosting their egos. Like, they just go back and forth. That that literally is it. complimenting them, each other and like, saying, like, they don't understand why everyone hates us when you're the most brilliant yeah. Incredible, <laughs> amazing, well, we're at a good-looking journalist. <laughs> well, we mentioned this last week. They got led into the debates to cover the debates, and they didn't talk anything about the... Like, their show's whole focus was look at the questions we got to ask. It wasn't like 
and there was no content to what people said. And the questions were kind of like, why are you against us, pretty much? Right. Like, they were all self-serving questions. Yeah, or, or completely ridiculous questions. Yeah, they then go on to discuss the interaction between Rebel and the other press about line etiquette. Because I guess there was a reporter ahead of him that like turned around and was like, oh, you're two Rebel people in a row. Why don't you give like another journalist in front of you so we like staggered it out and they like refused and <laughs> it's like <laughs> and they were like well why do you want to shut us out do you want... and he's like no it's, it's just nice <laughs> like it doesn't make them look good at all but like whatever so they they he plays this clip several times this week they then play a series of clips of them asking Trudeau uh about the unstamped unsubstantiated rumors that came out this week so i don't know if you heard about this i haven't rumors started spreading that uh Trudeau got fired from West Point over sexual uh, misconduct allegations. Oh, I've heard them ask questions about it. Yeah, so they they ask questions. I didn't know that was actually an ongoing thing. Well, it isn't. And here's the thing is, uh, even Snopes has like an article. And it's like one of these like tricky things that you can't say that it's not true. It's just so not based on any evidence that it's like, it could be true. Like, who the hell knows? It's just a bunch of people started spreading this rumor. And it doesn't seem to be that it originated from anyone from West Point. It seems to be that it originated from the conservative right who's just making up stuff. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Trudeau has a groping allegation, so it's quite possible that something did happen there. But there's absolutely no evidence That's ridiculous. at yeah. all. Yeah. I do want to acknowledge, though, that Lawton out of all the people, actually did bring up the credible groping allegation when he was questioning Trudeau. And I actually think that that is a good thing to bring up. And again, Trudeau deflected. So what are you going to do? Next, they play Menzies, getting to ask uh, ask Elizabeth May a question. And we are going to play that interaction. Oh, fun. Ms. May, uh, David Menzies with uh, Rebel News. Ms. May, in 2015, you stated that convicted terrorist Omar Khadr had more class than the entire effing conservative cabinet under Stephen <laughs> Harper. Do you still believe in 2019? And I want to say, I actually appreciate that remark, Elizabeth. So. ...that this convicted terrorist has more class than the entire oh conservative party under Andrew Scheer. Have you ever been to a press gallery dinner? Do you yes. understand the concept of it being ridiculous with lots of humor? I'm sorry, that's not a real question. Oh, sorry. If, if this was an attempt at humor, supplemental question, do you think that the widow and the fatherless children speeches? and the fatherless children of Christopher Spear, his murder victim, do you think they found that funny, Miss May? I don't think you understand the concept of press gallery dinner skits, but I will say this: there's very uh, there's very questionable evidence that Omar Khadr committed the crime of which he was accused. It was at the disposal, it was the decision of the U.S. military to describe something that was in a war zone as terrorism, when in the common sense understanding of the word terrorism, it wasn't. And I recommend to you the journalism of Sandy Garasino, who has produced a photograph that makes it quite clear that at the moment Mr. Khadr was supposed to have been able to throw a grenade, he was under a pile of rubble. The whole question is very fraught with historical revisionism, and we're not that far into our history. We also know that his rights were violated because he was a child at the time that his parents took him into, that his father took him into a war zone. There's a lot wrong with that story. No, actually, there's about seven things wrong with her answer there, including the fact that Omar Khadr was not legally a child, uh, not under Canadian law, not under the UN Conventions of the Rights of the Child. She just made that up. He was, in fact, convicted 
by a jury of terrorism. It's not just a spurious allegation. He also confessed to it with the advice and approval of his very zealous lawyers. He had a lot of very anti-American pro-terrorist lawyers. They certainly weren't government patsies. They approved his confession. So frankly, every word you said uh, that she said there was untrue. So whose side do you think I'm going to take this discussion? <laughs> whose side do you think you're going to take? Yeah. <laughs> I really hope it's Elizabeth May. It's definitely Elizabeth yeah. May. So, I mean, he wants to frame this in terms of Elizabeth May just making all that up. Uh, but I want to go over some key facts. And here's the thing is like there's some gray area here. Again, it was in a war zone and you have conflicting testimony, you have conflicting evidence, and it was chaos and a mess. So we'll never know for sure what exactly happened at that moment. Yeah. But here's some things that we do know. And again, I want to go over this because this is something that comes up constantly, especially because Trudeau paid out $10 million in a settlement to Omar Khadr when he returned to Canada. And I actually think that that was the right decision because if the Liberal government actually kept fighting Omar Khadr, uh, it's likely that they would have lost in court anyways and had to pay out more taxpayer money than what they settled with. So in the end, I, I think they did the right thing. I think what the conservatives think that if Trudeau fought even harder on it, they could have just dismissed it and we wouldn't have had to pay out that money. But my guess is like looking at the case that Khadr would have won. Yeah, that's my my position. It's interesting to note that he says that Cotter confessed. But here's what we do know, that the guy who was charged with interrogating Omar while at the hospital after the incident took place was a man named Joshua, Joshua Kloss. And Joshua later pled guilty to abusing detainees to extract confessions. And we also know that confessions are low tier evidence, which is that uh, especially in circumstances of stress, people often confess to things that they don't do. Yeah. Uh, this is common, it happens, and it's not good. The police turn to confessions to sway juries, especially when they lack sufficient material evidence to convict somebody. Lastly, uh, the photographs. The interesting thing there is there, there really is photographs showing that Omar Khadr lying face down under Rebel, which is apparently after he threw this grenade. Yeah. And that leaves you to wonder, like, how that happened now i can imagine some scenarios that are kind of convoluted such that that happened but it doesn't make total sense to me and here's the other thing is while he's laying in rubble the reason why he's laying in rubble rubble i should say is because the compound where uh komar or cotter was staying and all the other individuals he was with was bombed uh with a 500 pound explosive device and other missiles and stuff that were shot at by helicopters and stuff yeah uh, and that was called on by the military because what happened was i guess the the u.s uh patrol uh wanted was walking up to this building they received fire there was like uh you know shooting back and forth then it stopped then this part kind of bothers me the the u.s military got uh two afghan people as messengers to walk up to the building to try to communicate something. And the people within the building just shot and killed them. <laughs> so it's like the U.S. military just took two innocent people from a village and sent them to their deaths pretty much because they didn't want to like risk their own lives. And they died. Uh, and then once that happened, they called the bombing and basically blew the building to smithereens. Yeah. And then they were walking into the remains. There was another shooter and a grenade was thrown. Now, it's quite possible that the grenade was thrown by the other shooter. And when they killed him... 
they realize that Cotter was face down in the dirt. There was this other shooter that's now dead. And you have this other uh, U.S. soldier who wasn't wearing a helmet going into the building. Why he wasn't wearing a helmet is another question. And the shrapnel went into his brain and Mm -hmm. he died later uh, at a German hospital. Most of the testimony doesn't mention that Cotter threw a grenade at all. The first time you have testimony suggesting that he did was two years after the incident took place when one of the soldiers say that he saw Cotter throw the grenade. But again, two years after, why was this not said in the first two years? Yeah. So again, I mean, that doesn't prove his innocence, but you can see why there's there's skepticism of the case that he actually did this. So then the other part of uh, the story that Ezra wants to paint is that Cotter was uh, uh, not a child. This is not true. At the incident, or at the time the incident took place when he supposedly threw this grenade, he was 15. And during the trial, the UN was very vocal about how child soldiers, uh, child soldiers should not be treated as uh, perpetrators, but as victims. Yeah. Right? He was not uh, in Afghanistan because he chose to, through some sort of act of will as a child, he was brought there by his parents, who they themselves were religious extremists. And, like, as a 15-year-old, he probably has some of that. But, again, it's he wasn't there by choice. He was one of the first people who was actually tried in this by, uh, or as an adult, but as a, he was a minor when he committed the crime. Yeah. Which was very shocking. And there's also evidence he was tortured, so. <laughs> no, it wasn't there. That's why they ended up giving him money, the yeah. government, because he was tortured for many years. Yeah. I mean, it also has to do with the process and in, he was in which he was handled. And... Yeah. I mean, Ezra would love a story where somehow the liberal government is so terrible because they supported this terrorist or something like this. But again, it's the... Well, he went to a terrorist mosque, Trudeau. Yeah. Didn't you know? <laughs> He's only said it a hundred days I don't think he, I, like, he, he didn't even play the clip here, but that's surprising to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this yeah. would be the perfect opportunity to play that clip again. And, and I guess this is the last, last point, which is the whole idea that this was terrorism and Qatar got tried under terrorism when it's clearly a war zone. Like it's, it's not terrorism when the U.S. military just dropped the 500-pound bomb on the building. Yeah, to, well, it's not even that. It's just the fact that I don't know. Like, of course, we understand that Ezra is an ignorant buffoon, grifter, whatever you want to call him. But but it's just the fact that it's like it's a 15 year old boy. And even if it was an act of terrorism, he was clearly like, you know, coursed or manipulated into being into those situations. And I don't know. You have to like think of it in a more broader sense to why those people end up in those situations. Not right. Because you just see people of certain skin colors as bad. Because that's basically what it is. But it's also this like deep sense of retribution that a lot of the conservatives have, which is like you can notice in David Menzies' question too, where he talks about like the parents of of Spear. Spear was the soldier who who died, and the thing there is like they really want you to reflect on the fact that like these parents lost a child and like get revenge on this fifteen oh, year old. I think I've mentioned this to you before, but it reminds me all the time the rhetoric of that. There's this book. And it's about the East versus the West clash of clash. Of oh, the, the clash of the civilizations stations. by uh, Samuel Samuel Huntington. Yes, and yeah. like it, that kind of rhetoric, like the West and the East are going after each other, and they're gonna clash in a final battle, and we can't support them because they're on the opposite side, and we believe in like you know 
true American freedom that needs yep. to like be protected. And these other people have their morals that they want to come and take over. So we need to kill them. And so when you have those kind of um, viewpoints or that kind of mentality, you don't really see anyone that's on that side as a kid, right? You just see yeah. them as a part of the other team that you're facing against and otherizing and trying to defeat. They then uh, end with a, the clip of them asking Jagmeet Singh a question. And they talk about Jagmeet Singh. So I want to play the full context, even though we already heard the thing. Jagmeet Singh seems to be a, a nice enough guy on a personal level. Um, but when he detected that you were a rebel, he didn't answer the question, which mistakes the question's purpose. It's not a personal question that you've just been carrying around with you as a person. It's a question that will elicit information about a candidate for millions of viewers to see. So the question was not a personal trick or for personal gain. It was to elucidate his views on a particular subject and that he used your identity as an excuse not to answer it. It could, it could be anyone who asked you the question. The question stands on its own merits. Watch Jagmeet Singh avoid the question. I think the avoidance here is terrible. Take a look. Hi, uh, Elizabeth May told me earlier today, and I think she spoke in the other debate uh, re uh, recently, that she wants the Alberta oil sands offline by, in a decade. What's the date that you want the Alberta oil sands offline? So what's your name? My name's Key, and I'm with RNN. You're with who? RNN. I'm going to pass on the question, my friend. Okay, so I'll... Do I get the follow-up then? Or are you just going to pass on the question for... Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to answer it. Because it's a hard one or... No, I'm just not going to answer your question. So, okay, so the, follow, the follow-up, I guess, would be, uh, how do you have the moral authority to take the Alberta oil sands offline, given Such Alberta most just recently rejected your party in the largest democratic mandate that the province has ever seen? I'm not going to answer your question, but thanks. It's a hard one, hey? Yeah. Thanks, man. It's a hard one, hey? <laughs> I, I got a question. Um... I mean, I, Keen, I don't know you very well, but we've been working together in a friendly way for a year or so. Um, I can only imagine that the reason he doesn't answer your question is that he finds you politically disagreeable. Mm -hmm. You're not a, a criminal. You're not doing anything obscene or, or, or immoral. You're not um, engaging in any sort of misconduct. In fact, the way you got to the front of the line there was through a court order and then through initiative. So there's there's no reason whatsoever that would justify that conduct. Like <clears throat> um, if Al Jazeera, a state-run propaganda arm of Qatar, asked me a question, I might say to them, I'm not talking to you because you're the state-run propaganda arm of Qatar. If Xinhua <laughs> asked me a question, I might say, well, you're just the Communist Party's mouthpiece and you're spies. So that, I think, could be a legitimate reason not to talk to a particular media outlet because they're not really, like, Xinhua and the People's Daily are not journalists. They're so I just want to pause it there. We're going to get back to it. But notice how he said they're not journalists. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just store that in your head. Okay. They're propaganda spies. But for Jagmeet Singh to decline to answer your question because of your nature, whereas your nature is simply your conservative, the reason that... Now I'm going to pause again. So he said your nature and the nature is that you're conservative. Remember, this is a guy who started off working at a place selling Rhodesian flags. I was about uh, to say, I just saw this morning something about him selling shirts with like blackface on it. Probably. Uh, or something along those lines. I don't want to say it and then it's not completely <laughs> true. But like... 
this is the reason why I want to do my main segment. And we're going to get to the main segment in a second. But you can tell here is they frame this constantly that the reason why everyone is against us is because we're conservative. When clearly there was conservative journalists in that line that Jagmeet had no problem taking questions from. The reasons why they're not taking questions from you is the fact that you're the types of people who would sell Rhodesian flags, <laughs> right? Yeah, That's like yeah, crossing yeah. a line into we're no longer just conservatives. We're propping up and supporting white nationalist positions. That's odious. It's not just that it doesn't participate in the democracy and the journalistic vetting of politicians, but it telegraphs to me what Jagmeet Singh will be like, God forbid, if he were ever granted any power, that if someone would come to his office and say, I need help with an immigration issue, I need help with a passport issue, I need help, there's a pothole outside yeah. my, I need help, he would say, okay, hang on, hang on. Put his name in the database, is he a conservative? No, okay, we'll help you. Put his name in the database, is he a conservative? Yes, sorry, I'm not going to help you. Uh -huh. He showed an, a warrantless discrimination he discriminated against you in because you're conservative. <laughs> in a way, it was deplatforming. It was a way. It was a, it was a workaround. Justice Zinn's order that you be accredited. I don't. I mean, they were probably high fiving and slam dunking in the media party. Yeah. But if I were someone in Jagmeet Singh's own riding, I'd have to say, is he even my MP, or should I go to a neighboring riding? Because this guy clearly hates my kind so much. My kind. <laughs> I mean, I love the, like the whole like work around thing. They let him ask a question. That so the last part he says they wouldn't even let me ask a question. No, he was able to ask the question. He just said, "Yeah, I'm not going to answer it." Right, and it's not a work Which around the court order. It's a I'm not going to answer. Like the court didn't order that the uh, they candidates have to. have to answer the questions. And that's his answer. He did technically answer it. Yeah. It's just I have no answer for you. There you go. I don't want to answer it. And like to to suggest that somehow him not wanting to take questions from white nationalists means he's not going to listen to his conservative conservative constituents about potholes in the fucking road. <laughs> like yeah, it's a big a stretch. So Kean did used to sell shirts. Uh, with slogans with killing black people on the shirts. Oh, <laughs> that is terrifying. Because he used to work for... That's what? the same site that sold yeah. the Rhodesian flags. Yeah, but they also sold stuff about lynching black people. and. I did not like come across that when I was doing my initial research. So I just found out about it this morning. That's um, And he also promoted the idea that people of autism or Asperger's are incapable incapacitated yeah, yeah and have lack of autonomy well yeah i mean we're we're not going to get to it because this happened last night and they haven't released an episode yet but he stalked and harassed greta thunberg yesterday so yeah good old kian uh so the what i told you to put in the vault uh people from al jazeera and the chinese state communists are not journalists yeah and i want to replay the first clip that i played which in the context of the show was only 20 minutes earlier in the exact same interview. Okay. And this is, listen again. Being a uh, journalist is an activity. You just sort of do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's not like being a doctor where you have to have a certain certification <laughs> and a professional. Mm -hmm. So it's, anytime someone says, are you accredited journalist? It's a little bit of BS. A journalist is just a journalist that they say they're a journalist and they're doing journalism. So for him to then just go, like 20 minutes later say Al Jazeera are not journalists. 
No, it's because you are such a two lefty <laughs> communist ran associations. So of course they can't be journalists. Yeah, so that's just propaganda. Well, I mean, he says the, the propaganda. So Al Jazeera is funded by the Qatari regime, but they hire journalists, and of course that creates like a slant. I'm not saying that they're not slanted, biased, all these other things. And there's going to be certain topics that they're definitely not going to cover that other people would cover, etc. Yeah. But Ezra falls into that same fucking bracket because he takes coke money and like and you see he only has Voice a certain fucks about ethical oil. And there's only the certain people that he has on a show constantly, the same cast of characters, so he's not showing any other side of the story yet. Anyways, it's so easy to point out the hypocrisy. It just stood out in my head that this was literally 20 minutes apart. Now we're on to Monday. So on October 14th, Ezra is going he's claiming he's going to file a lawsuit. And the reason why he's filing this lawsuit is because he was deplatformed in Edmonton. Oh. Now, he was kind of deplatformed. He had a contract to uh, give a book signing and book talk at a Edmonton theater. And the Edmonton theater got a lot of pushback from people. And they ended up saying, we're not going to host you anymore at our thing. Yeah. And they went and hosted it somewhere else. Now, there is this sticky issue that they had a contract. And that could be breach of contract. But Ezra starts talking very weird about this, where it seems like he doesn't actually want to sue the guy for breach of contract. What he wants to do is try to sue the protesters that forced the guy, not forced the guy. Well, Ezra claims that he forced him, but clearly this guy was like, I don't know, there's public pushback, I don't want to do it anymore. But he wants to sue them for what he says is inducement to breach of contract. The the law surrounding inducement is pretty clear. Like okay. Inducement of breach of contract really means... That like you have a contract with somebody and say, I come in because I want to financially gain from getting you to breach your contract. And I okay. induce you financially to like get out of your contract, which is slightly different from like activists calling up the venue going, please don't uh, platform white nationalism. Yeah. And then, right. So it's a different kind of thing altogether. And Ezra points this out, but then goes, but surely if inducement for money is bad. Crazy Antifa people inducing is really terrible because that's against free speech. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how well that's going to happen in court, but he has set up a whole website. Uh, another, is it another petition? So here's the thing. It's another website, but it's not a petition. No. But there is a big donate to our legal fund button or whatever. And he says that he's going to constantly update the site with uh, information about these ongoing lawsuits. I was surprised, though. Not a petition. The other thing that was really interesting in this discussion is Ezra keeps bringing up uh, Salim Mansour, who is the PPC candidate in our riding. Great. And he brings them up for this kind of weird contrast. So Mansour was barred from participating in a candidate event at a local mosque. Mm -hmm. And Ezra keeps on saying that that's not good. But that was different than what's happening to him, and Salim can't really sue him. But we're like, it's like he's just raising it to highlight that this PPC candidate was deplatformed. But then he's also saying that, like, uh, Salim has no legal recourse in this because he doesn't think that a mosque should be forced to platform people or something. So I have no clue what, what his actual point, what the point of bringing yeah. that up was. I was just like, hey, a local candidate, he's the guy who 
I had to sit through before I called uh, Bernier a bigot. That was that. I mean, the whole first half of the show was pretty much him just trying to sell that he's doing this lawsuit and for you to donate money to his legal fund. But then he has on in the second half, uh, Mr. Homeless People in L.A. have smartphones. So (laughs) we got uh, Breitbart editor himself, Joel Pollack, back on to talk about Trump and the Democratic primary. And Pollack begins by making the bizarre argument regarding uh, tax-exempt status of churches. This is in relation to Beto O'Rourke making some kind of comment about how if you're going to be anti-gay or whatever, you should lose your tax-exempt status. And they don't like it. So I want to play this clip. This is, uh, again, this is uh, Pollock talking about uh, Beto. While that was going on, Beto O'Rourke at an LGBTQ forum hosted by CNN here in Los Angeles was talking about how he wanted to remove the tax-exempt status of religious organizations and institutions that didn't allow same-sex marriage, basically declaring war on every church, mosque, and synagogue and temple in this country. Because once you remove their tax-exempt status, people can't contribute to those religious institutions without getting the tax write-off for doing so, which is part of the system we have here, which means that you're effectively going to be bankrupting a lot of these churches and synagogues and so forth. So Beto O'Rourke and the Democrats are now attacking the First Amendment, not just in terms of freedom of speech, but also in terms of freedom of religion. And Joe Biden is complaining that the New York Times and other outlets are... But they're not attacking freedom of speech. They're saying you can say it, you're just not going to get tax breaks. Right. And his argument is that, well, if you don't uh, give them these tax breaks, the churches will be destroyed. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah, but I'm like, who cares? (laughs) And the thing that surprises me is these... I mean, this is the interesting thing about these kind of libertarian... Uh, free market people because it seems like you know they would be all for it. it's like well no you don't get a tax break you either survive or you die on your merits and if people yeah. want to donate they donate and if they don't well then you fold and you're you're done no, okay. and yet when it comes to christian religion that's when they're like we need all the tax breaks and we need to have churches on every corner and it needs to be tax subsidized and we need to control a woman's body and like for some reason well we know what the reason is they're religious zealots that are also hardcore conservatives. So yeah. uh, that's all it is. I just thought it was a, a, an ironic statement. And I also want to highlight the thing that's hilarious is every time Pollock is on Ezra's show, he leaves, <laughs> he leaves his fucking phone on and it dings throughout the whole friggin' interview. And I almost feel like it's a power move. Like Pollock is just like, oh, doesn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> or like maybe he's important. Like people are texting me. I don't know. Yeah. But it, it dings constantly, and it's so annoying. It's like, turn your fucking phone off. Like, at least, at least have a common courtesy. They then talk about how uh, how great Trump is for appointing all these conservative judges. The thing, the thing that annoys me is that the judiciary is supposed to be nonpartisan. So you shouldn't be happy that he's appointing judges with a specific ideological bent. They, and then they get mad at Democrats for running on court packing schemes. But the reason why Democrats are running on various types of ways to fix the judiciary is because conservatives keep appointing ideological judges, which they're technically not supposed to do because these are supposed to be impartial rules. You don't yeah. want a judge on the stand to rule based on politics. You want them to rule based on legality. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the sad thing is Ezra then wishes the sad, that the same thing happens here. And I'm going to play that clip. It's very undemocratic. And in Canada, we have a misplaced submission and subservience to our judges. In America, judges, everyone knows judges are 
have a political nature, so they bring to it a political accountability, a political scrutiny. In Canada, our judges are even more political than yours, but there's this aura around them that they are high priests who cannot be questioned. I think it's a great flaw, not just in our constitution, but in our media culture. That's a branch of government, the judiciary, but we don't hold it to any account. And that's, I think, a weakness of Canada. It's not a weakness that we don't politicize courts. I think like there's going to be some pushback. Like Obviously, judges can still be political yeah. on the bench. But if you politicize the courts, you end up getting what you get in the United States, which they specifically get judges for having a particular political bent, like Brett Kavanaugh, Neil Gorsuch. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. These are put in place because they want to overturn Roe v. Wade. Yeah. which goes against stare decisis and all these things that they shouldn't be doing. But in Canada, we don't have that yet. And I hope it remains that way. And in America, it wasn't always like that either. Like it happened over the, the last 40 years that, that this started happening, uh, especially starting with uh, Reagan. I don't think that that's a good way to go. And I wanted to highlight that because like, I hope Ezra does not get his way here. I then want to uh, play this clip, which is they, they bring up George Soros. And again, this is going to fit into our overall narrative that even though Ezra himself is Jewish, you can still see that they play into these anti-Semitic tropes. And I want to say Pollock is also Jewish. So we've got two Jews here utilizing an anti-Semitic trope. I have a theory about Antifa, Black Bloc, and why George Soros in the days and weeks after Trump's win in 2016 publicly committed tens, I think it was even over $100 million to street activism. Um, and I think it's this. To associate the word Trump with controversy, chaos, and danger. If you support Trump, not only will you personally be at risk if you wear a red Make America Great Again hat, if you go to a Trump rally, not only uh, will, will you personally be at risk, but wherever Trump goes, there's a riot, there's someone being punched, there's some car burning, that it's to create a sense of crisis in general, but crisis and controversy attached to Trump itself. And that is a psychological, a mass psychology tactic from the left. That's my theory. Maybe that's Maybe that's obvious. Well, it's not even it's not even a theory. You're 100 percent correct, and in fact, it predates the 2016 election, or it happened during the election. It predates election day. For, for you've been in protests. I've been in protests. Yeah. Have you showed up going? The main reason I'm here is to make the other team look chaotic. No. No, you're there because you have a a point to make. Like I don't but, know, Trump's yeah. a racist, yeah. and I'm against that. But apparently, George Soros. It's some like devious plot by George Soros to somehow pay these protesters to make Trump look chaotic. Well, I mean, like, I've never got paid to go to a protest. I wish I did. But that's specifically what the Democrats did. And the <laughs> conservative filmmaker exposed it because he got several high-level Democratic operatives on tape saying that that was their goal. They would infiltrate activists into Trump rallies and other rallies, not just Trump, other Republican events, and they would instigate fights and they would have someone there to record on video, then they'd make sure the video made its way to the mainstream media. And the idea was to create a sense, in their words, of anarchy around anything happening with Trump and the Republicans. So that when people thought of Trump, they thought of instability, danger, chaos, exactly as you said. That was the plan. They have a term for it. They called it bird dogging. Mm -hmm. Bird dogging. 
I had never heard of bird dogging before. I bird dog all the time. And he uses James O'Keefe as the uh, example. And we've talked about him before. Project Veritas. And they're hoaxing and manipulating. So but I just sent you a video of a video that Trump... Well, t- Trump didn't make it. It was like at a supporter rally, I think, in Florida. Oh, yeah. The one where he shoots all the journalists in the face. He goes to fake media... Fake, fake media church. church. <laughs> and he walks in and then he decides to shoot up all the people in the church. But the people's faces have been photoshopped with like um CNN. Yeah, CNN. Or actual people. There was Barack Obama, I think, in there. But yeah, Barack Obama was in it. Um Which is the thing, is like you don't need George Soros to pay protest like So the that's chaos what I was is, gonna get yeah. to is like it he makes his own instability because that's what was aired at one of his rallies. And he said he wasn't in support of it, but it makes him look so horrible because it's like, that's what they think of when they see Trump is shooting down a bunch of groups of people and these media outlets. Yeah. And I almost wasn't going to like cover this that much, but the reason why I wanted to play both of that is because right now an impeachment's going on. Mm -hmm. And all this stuff is coming out. You got witnesses caving. You got people being arrested. You got Trump coming up with some wacky deal with Turkey that no one understands that are leading to a genocide in Syria. And you have all this going down. And they're talking about George Soros bird dog. Because I thought they would focus a lot these next couple of weeks just on the Canadian elections and talking all about that. But I mean, they have. They've, they've talked about the media party. Which and how is many who... <laughs> questions they got over the media party. Well, he announced at the beginning. I mean, he's not wrong. He announced at the beginning of the election that they're not going to be covering the candidates. They're going after the media party. That was their whole... Sure, but they've hardly even covered that. Like, they're going <laughs> off on these weird topics that don't really have any connection with current affairs or events. Hey, they've, they've played several of the same clip of Marie Barton. What else do, <laughs> what else do they've you They've invited need? the exact same people. Almost, I think they have a day for each of these individuals. Like, each... Like Monday, you know. No, I, I thought it was regular, Pull but it's off. not. It's like random. Because <laughs> usually. It feel like it. It feels like every Monday this guy's coming on, and then every Tuesday this person's coming on. No, because uh, on, on Wednesday they had Lauren Gunter, and Lauren Gunter is usually a Friday guy, so they're, oh, so they're they mixing it up. It up. But he's at least <laughs> coming on once a week, so. Yeah. Uh, but moving on. So on October 15th, Ezra does the entire episode. In the back of a taxi. Oh. And he, basically, he just speaks briefly about polls and talks about how he thinks the election is going to turn out. So he what then, does he think? He, he just reiterates what the polls look like. Oh, okay. It, it really was, I could have just gone to CBC Poll Tracker if I really wanted to. Okay. And then he uh, talks about Jagmeet Singh making Punjabi poutine. And uh, he plays the entire clip that the NDP released, which doesn't make for good audio podcasting because it's just like frying potatoes. <laughs> yeah, it's him cubing up sweet potatoes. And, and then uh, and then he praises Jagmeet Singh. And that was it. And so, again, he frames it in terms of, he's like, seems like a nice guy. He is a radical socialist, Jim, but he seems like a nice guy, so whatever. He then covers uh, the fact that Trudeau wore a bulletproof vest recently and he uh, he speculates that it wasn't a real threat that it was staged and I have no evidence that it was staged or not staged so I don't care Yeah. and then he covers the CBC lawsuit so I don't know if you heard about this 
but the CBC filed a lawsuit against the Conservative Party for using their debate footage in one of their advertisements. I don't know if it was the debate footage, but it was some CBC footage. In, in particular, Marie Barton's name was on the lawsuit. Yeah. It turns out that she has come out since saying that she didn't give permission to have her name on the lawsuit. Okay. And this is a problem either way for the CBC, because for one, they probably shouldn't have done this lawsuit in the first place. For political reasons, which is that now the conservatives have this talking point of, look, the CBC has this anti-conservative bias. Yeah. But then also, you're a taxpayer-funded TV channel, and the conservative ad pretty much falls under fair use. I would label it as fair use. I mean, our whole show is a clip show. So <laughs> yeah. this is this is part of what fair use is. If you take a clip and you, you manipulate, or not manipulate it, but like you do something to it so it's not just the clip, you talk, you add commentary, feedback, uh, that's covered under fair use. So I don't even think it's a good lawsuit. And the fact that Marie Barton, they put Marie Barton on there and she claims it was not, she didn't give permission. That's a bad fucking thing to do. Yeah. And if she did put her name on it, that's also a bad fucking thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Which leads me to the position in Canada Land also suggests the same thing, which is like she should resign either way for this, I think. Because you've now tarnished your record. You're now someone who I mean, before the the attacks were kind of ridiculous, where it's like, Oh, you love Trudeau, you're biased, blah 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 blah. But like actually actively going for a lawsuit if you actually did that but against she's the saying CBC, that she didn't. Right. She's saying she didn't, but now it's like, why are you sticking with the company? That and not going after the company who threw you on a lawsuit. I guess so, but I don't think she should lose her job. Like maybe she needs the job. Well, I'm, well, I mean, I doubt it. She could probably sure, but I'm saying that's like her livelihood. That's a huge thing to say for someone like maybe. But I think it's more of a a, a principal thing, or at the very least, uh, one thing they suggest is like she could use her union to go after the CBC. But go grieve. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't think people like. Sure, maybe she can get another job, but you don't really know that. So, it's just a weird. It's Especially a weird if you're situation. saying if it's going to tarnish her yeah. reputation, so it's a weird situation and it's a bad look for Barton. Well, that's that's the thing about tarnishing your reputation. Like, the reason why I'm like on the side of resign if she didn't put a name on it is if I was in her position, it would look bad for me to just like turn a blind eye to something bad the people I work for did. Like that almost tarnishes your reputation too. Although yeah. the things you raise are good points, but they seem to me like more good points if she was like lowly workers like us <laughs> in the sense of like, she I mean, has the ability. She's rich financially. Like she has I, the ability. To yeah. Like she has like, less risk in between yeah. jobs. Anyways. So that, that was that. And then the rest of the show literally was just a highlight reel. He just played clips, all the same clips that we always hear over and over again from the back of a taxi. Yeah. I don't know why he was in the taxi. He's like, I'm busy. I'm going places. I'm uh, in the back of a taxi. He's like, let's be innovative. Yeah. <laughs> Make this show a little mobile. Then uh, October 16th was another like rehash. They they basically, you know, talked about Greta Thunberg, called her mentally ill. Oh, gross. Uh, Ezra talks about uh, Greta coming to Alberta, which again, last night, apparently, last night, which is Thursday in our time, Apparently, uh, Kian harassed Greta, so that was fun. And then they have Lauren Gunter on, and they it was just boring as hell. Nothing happened, so. Yeah, sounds about right. And then that's it. So, I I mean, normally I would cover the Thursday episode, but there was no Thursday episode posted, so 
that's it. That's the end of the week. So are you ready? I am ready for this main segment. So for the past two weeks of the Rebel, uh, they have been kind of a victory lap for them in terms of gaining some acceptance in the media, like the fact that they were published in the Globe and Mail, and the fact that they won their court case to cover the debates. And since we've been doing the, the show, Ezra has made claims about why the media establishment and the conservative party is against him and prevents them from having access and participating in journalistic activities. And the excuse which we've even heard uh, this episode is that the media and the politicians are all just anti-conservative and they have an anti-conservative bias. Especially for the Conservative Party, the problem is that they just don't trust Ezra because Ezra asks tough questions to Andrew Scheer on immigration. That's the one line that he keeps on using over and over again. Yeah. And each time this has been brought up, I have mentioned Faith Goldie. And I think it is about time before we vote on Monday that we discuss Faith Goldie and why she is such a problem. And the goal is to make really really fucking clear for those who may forget the past when talking about the rebel that there were legitimate reasons for losing whatever credibility or at the very least access that they had since the events in august 2017 and is also why we should be concerned about the rise of rebel media again since this uh election has put them in a spotlight great because august 2017 events in Charlottesville, uh, they really did expose the rot that was President Rebel, even though long before that event took place, it was clear that Faith had fascistic elements yeah. <laughs> in her presentation. And this, these were all present long before Faith Goldie marched with Nazis and then went on to a Nazi podcast. So in order to tell the story, I'm going to start with the incident at Charlottesville, which, for those who don't remember, occurred on August 12th, 2017. And the first thing that we're going to cover is Faith actually recording on the ground in Charlottesville. And it's interesting because Faith was actually at the spot where the murderer uh, ran down and killed Heather Heyer. And her footage was actually used by a lot of the media because she was live streaming as the car happened and caught it all on on video. Yeah. I'm not going to play any of the terrifying sounds of the people screaming or anything like that. So don't worry for people who who uh, that footage. Well, I mean, it bothers me, so I don't want to play it. But we're not going to play any of the footage of the actual um, murder itself. But the first thing I'm going to play is actually uh, Faith walking with uh, the Antifa protesters. And Black Lives Matter protesters. And basic, she, she's streaming this on Periscope. And she's talking about the people in the crowd. But for context of, of why this is happening. So the uh, Unite the Right rally that was being held. They were granted permission. Uh, well, they were fighting uh, the uh, Virginia State to be allowed to do this. And the ACLU ended up stepping in and helping them to allow to do this rally. Because initially they were denied a permit. And then they were given a permit and the protests came to protest them because they were given this permission. And eventually the cops shut the whole thing down, canceled it, said it's not safe and scuffles started breaking out and all this happened. And then what happened was 
And part of that was because you had the night before, you had the violent tiki torch rally where people were chanting Jews will not replace us yeah, and yeah. whipping people and all kinds of other crazy stuff. And so the cops were just like, shut the whole fucking thing down. Makes sense. Now, there was other things that the cops did that were not good. But at this, like shutting it down, probably a good idea. Probably should have shut it down earlier. But whatever. So what, what Faith Goldie is in before this uh, car uh, murder happened is kind of like the victory party. So this is later in the day. The rally's already done. A lot of the right-wing people have gone home. And now the Antifa people are in the streets celebrating. And that gives you a bit of context for sort of Goldie's attitude to what's going on. Okay. No problem. Black Lives Matter is a lie to march. Alt-right is not. They are your streets. They are your streets. This freedom of assembly for one group and not for another. This freedom of protest for one group but not another. You don't need a, a permit if you're anti-spot. But if you have a permit and you're in the alt-right, you're not allowed to mingle. You're not allowed to talk about ideas. Charge, chant some George Soros slogans and you're good to go. You can, you can assemble anytime you want. Oh my god, every time I keep hearing George Soros, like... Again, I think the George Soros thing is relevant. And it's it's amazing. Once you start connecting the anti-Semitism of uh, Faith Goldie here, yeah, you feed into why is Ezra using these same tropes? Like, he should know fucking better. Uh, there's that, and you can you can hear the butthurt in her voice of, like, the poor old alt-right got yeah, shut yeah, down. Yeah, the, and like, well, they do this all the time, just trying to make themselves sound like victims, right? Like, yeah. Everyone's out to get us. <laughs> Meanwhile, our main philosophies are we hate certain groups of people. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's going to be uh, a little bit more clear. So, th again, this is just a couple minutes or seconds after that, that first clip I played. This is, I, I guess, one of the... Uh, I don't think one of the protesters recognized Faith Goldie, but could t sort of tell she didn't fit in. All right, let's see if we can get... They're very inclusive. I'm looking to learn about inclusion, guys. I'm just looking to learn about inclusion and diversity. I'm here to learn about multiculturalism, and I'm here to learn about how how diverse groups lead to very high trust societies. One thing that you can't see in the audio version of this clip is after she said, I want to learn how diversity uh, attributes to high trust societies. She gives this kind of like derp smirk, which is clearly her mocking that position. So she's not stating that as like, yeah, that's not she's, she's legit. She's being sarcastic. Yeah. Right. You can tell in the tone. I remember the day of when uh, Charlottesville <laughs> happened and the car accident happened. And one of the first thing I did was to check out what the right-leaning media was doing at the time and came across Faith Goldie's full clip of this whole thing. And the thing that shocks me is that what you just witnessed was literally like a minute or two before the car then crashed in and killed Heather Heyer. Yeah. And for her, like, mocking the idea that somehow this diversity creates a uh, a low trust society and in when you see her footage of the the antifa and black lives matter uh protest it is a very diverse crowd you have black people black women uh people of color you have people wearing trans flags gay flags yeah this is all kinds of gender uh 
And earlier in the day, when you look at all the right wing footage, almost everyone to a T is a young white man. Yeah. And so you have this contrast between this one, this one group of tight knit people of all this range of diversity, all trusting each other. They just don't like the people that want to kill them, which happens literally two minutes after she says that bullshit. Yeah. And the people who are making society not trustworthy are not the diverse people that are in that Antifa Black Lives Matter crowd, but the people who are so fucking insane that they want to drive their car into a crowd of people and, and kill and injure people. Uh, so it's just striking that contrast that it was like that that close to like a literal manifestation of the kind of violence that she's quasi giving credence to. She's She would say that she's not advocating for the kind of alt-right white nationalist stuff that she's just sort of like shining a light on it saying here it is so she's not advocating it it's just that when you have racial mixing this kind of tension will arise and you'll see her trying to like skirt that line through some of the clips i'm going to play in the future and it's a common way i think of trying to make make what she's saying a little bit more palatable in the sense of going, it's not that I'm for the violence. It's just that the violence is an inevitable outgrowth Condition, yeah. of, of, of uh, races uh, in, like being in contact with each other. Oh my gosh. Six minutes after the murder, and I'm again, I'm not going to play any of the, the murder, murder footage. Faith starts speaking to her audience again, and I want to play that clip. I, I also want to say, just to be fair to Faith Goldie, when the accident happens... She reacts like any normal human in a certain way would yeah. react to such a thing and is running around. I mean, she's useless, but you could see like her mentality wanting to try to do something, wanting to try to help and like is saying like, there's this person bleeding over here. Get a medic kind of thing. Right. Uh, there, there's a weird moment where one of the people in the car is a black woman, which she kept on referring to the black woman in the car. Why not just say there's a woman in the car <laughs> like whatever. But but the fact is she's running around trying to get help to people failing, obviously, because it's like pure chaos, but yeah. like, whatever, like she reacts like a normal, normal human being. But then she talks about this. Yes, right yes, through yes. a very crowded, this street right, right in front of us. Some, someone, uh, I don't know if it was deliberate or if they just slammed on the accelerator because it was a high stress situation. I do not know. Um, but we did see one woman who was inside a car that was really badly rear-ended. I saw at least one girl who seemed to get stuck in between those cars. Now they're, after having absolutely no emergency crews on the ground at the initial moments of this, there is an absolute swarm of them. We've got state police, we've got fire, we've got a giant military vehicle over there. So the reason I play that clip is, for, for one, like you, you, like the high stress situation, you can tell that's happening there. Yeah. Uh, but also, she says two things that are interesting. Which the one is her, her laying out sort of what she perceives to be possible things that could have happened, which is that either the person got spooked and hit the accelerator, or it was deliberate. And like she speculated because, like in this moment, it's six minutes after it happened. But you can already see like how human brains work in that moment, which is it's just six minutes after it happened and she's trying to already connect patterns and find things. And I don't think this is Faith's fault. 
I just wanted to highlight it. But one of their excuses for why the guy wasn't guilty of murder was they made the claim that he was spooked and felt threatened and accidentally hit the accelerator and ran into the people. That's still manslaughter, though. Uh, well, it could be if you felt like you were under attack and it was an accident. I and mean, here's the thing is, we know it clearly wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't under attack. There's video footage of him from some other people showing that he just drove right into the crowd. Yeah. Uh, so it's not a good excuse. I don't think this is Faith actually thinking in her head, I'm going to somehow excuse a white nationalist. It's more that you can tell that when the white nationalists start to try to excuse it, those are the exact same kind of things that they're going to go to because... That's the best way that you can frame this in a non-guilty uh, way, I guess. The other thing is, and I'm going to play this uh, later, of some of the conspiracy theories that the far right has about Heather Heyer and the accident that happened. And you can tell here that Faith witnessed the whole thing and knew that these people got hurt. So one of the conspiracy theories with that was that Heather Heyer had a heart attack. And you can clearly hear by the how Faith is describing this incident that it's clear there was trauma and the trauma was caused by cars crushing people. Yeah. And Faith Goldie actually goes on the show of someone who's a conspiracy theory about this and thinks Heather Heyer died of a heart attack. I just wanted to to play that clip both for those two points and they're going to become relevant later, but I wanted to play that. So you have Faith Goldie was on the scene when the accident happened. Then later in the day of the 12th, Faith Goldie appeared on a podcast, the infamous neo-Nazi podcast. The podcast itself is called The Crypto Report. Crypto, crypto fascist, you can see uh, what leaning this podcast has. And it is a podcast of the Daily Stormer. Daily Stormer was uh, taken from Der Stormer, which was a Nazi magazine in the Nazi regime in the 1930s. So you can tell what leaning these people have. Now, the show itself, the podcast, is hosted by a guy named Robert Warren Ray, who's also known online as Asmador. And Ray is loosely affiliated with the group Vanguard America. And Vanguard America is the same group that the guy who murdered Heather Heyer was a part of. Now, I say loosely affiliated because he actually, this uh, Robert Warren Ray guy, came with Vanguard America to the Charlottesville event. Yeah. So that could just mean that he knew a buddy in it, but it could also mean that he's quasi involved in the movement. But there's no evidence that he's actually a member of Vanguard America, although it's clear they share some sort of ideological connection. Before we get to the interview itself, I I want to take a few minutes to talk about the creator of the Daily Stormer, whose name is Andrew Anglin, and he's going to come up in the interview between uh, Ray and Goldie. And I want to talk about Anglin because I think it highlights how conspiracy theories and white no- na- nationalism tend to cross streams in a lot of ways. Before I get into it, I want to say that I want to credit a lot of this stuff to Luke O'Brien, who writes for The Atlantic magazine, uh, because a lot of this backstory information that we have is from the reporting yeah. that, that he gave. And I like to give credit. So thanks, Luke. So Anglin uh, started his first website in 2006 called Outlaw Journalism, and it was inspired by... Alex Jones and Hunter S. Thompson, which he's also a crazy person, but probably uh, less detrimental to society than (laughs) Alex Jones. The website was mostly standard conspiracy fare. I mean, you know, Alex Jones stuff. But then Anglin started writing about going off the grid and becoming a hunter-gatherer. 
What? That, <laughs> I don't know. And he moved to the Philippines, where he was planning to marry Muslim women, and even said things like, I think the right white race should be bred out. Cool. Anglin then uh, stayed off the grid between 2011 and 2012, when he reemerged from the jungle. Anglin started writing about lizard people in the fashion of David Icke. So if you don't know who David Icke is, <laughs> uh, he's the guy who believes that people are reptilians, yeah. secret reptilians. And really, it's a dog whistle for Jews. All the secret reptilians are Jews, and it's all the same. They use the gold for conductors, like yeah. <laughs> conductors for their spaceships. So Anglin started dipping into to that stuff. Shortly after that, he then created the website Total Fascism, stating, Great. We have found the truth. We have found the light. We have found Adolf Hitler. What? That's right. He discovered Adolf Hitler. Uh, in the and, jungle of the Philippines? So it's not clear what happened in the jungle. <laughs> but it is clear that he was rejected by the tribe that he was uh, with. Uh, the tribe was the Taboli people. He saw this reje- rejection as evidence of the backwardsness of non-white people. So I don't know if he was in the jungle reading. He was reading. so poor getting rid of white people in general. Yeah. That's such a in, in a turn. short Yeah, in a short period of time, too. Uh, so he was like, I'm going to the jungle where I'm going to like breed my race out and become a hunter-gatherer and yep. be one with the earth to now like, They're too white primitive nationalists. and only white people yeah. Are, are good. Yeah, it was a quick turnaround. And then... Well, rejection really hurts them. Eh? I mean, you're going to find, like, one of the major themes, and it's a, it's a similar theme with Faith Goldie, which is why I think it was interesting to tell this backstory, which is, like, a lot of them are people who are disaffected or, or lack a certain kind of meaning and want to find a kind of purpose in life. And there's something about holding on to such a radical belief like white nationalism, that gives you a true, a kind of true sense of purpose in like, there's this enemy and we got to fight it and they're secret and I'm the one who has all the information and I'm going to help. I'm this now crusader. I'm, I have a purpose to fight uh, and, and make the world the, the way that I think it should be, right? Yeah. And that's appealing to a lot of people who, who are feeling lost or disaffected. Or I think a lot of times what ends up happening is people see these groups where they feel like they have some sort of community but i feel like anglo-saxon ethnic groups or that ethnic group doesn't really have a sense of community as strongly as other senses or not community in the same way i mean there's something about being a minority in a culture and like we've already talked about how immigrants somewhat self-segregate yeah and there's a reason for that which is has less to do or it doesn't always have to do with culture, but could just be that I don't know English that well and I'd rather be around people who I can more easily communicate yeah, with. Yeah, or they want to associate with people where they feel like they're not going to be discriminated against right. or they're going to be accepted. Or that you will both like the same That's what I'm soccer to say. teams back in the Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm just trying to say is like there's just this sense of community that gets built around immigrants or different ethnic groups that you just don't have with. I, I, I to be more like, specific, like American kind of culture, like American white culture. Yeah. And I feel like you have this uh, trope of like the white loner, young male. Yep. And then when they get placed into those roles, it's not fun to feel like that. But again, I also think a lot of this is because of how capitalism is set up to be so individualistic and commercialized. And yep. that's 
heavily endosed in American culture. And because it is, then you further segregate yourself and feel lonely. And I actually do think um, North America in general has an issue with loneliness and social isolation and individual, like, because it's just because Have you read Bolding Alone? No, it's I like a, Oh, yes, yeah, I have, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I read it in third year of my undergrad. Just yeah, yeah. chapters, not the whole thing. No, same. I, I, but I his... mean, it's sitting on my shelf somewhere. <laughs> there it is. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, the I forgot about this book. Anyways. Yeah. I mean, uh, but that's the thesis of that yeah, book. He, that, yeah, that's exactly the thesis. And it's just, I, that's where I get the sense from a lot of these people. And so it's like, now we're going to create our own community, but it's going to be based around hate. And it and I can see them being like we're together now in this like sort of alt right community. We identify with something because before yeah. we couldn't identify with anything because we're the privileged group, and now they can be like I identify with being discriminated against because I'm super conservative and everyone in the world's against me and I my team yeah right and me and my team were it's us against <laughs> the world right and it, and it becomes addictive because if you're if you're lost and you're searching for that community. And all of a sudden you're posting shit posts online and yeah. these, this group of people is accepting you and Joe is in on the joke and is liking your content. I, yeah. It creates that feeling of like belongingness. Like this is, these are my people. This is the community I've been looking for. Exactly. Well, I was actually, what I always think about is my ex-boyfriend because he loves conspiracy theories and I've talked to you about him many yeah. times, but he thinks the world is flat. Uh, when we dated, we couldn't, I couldn't have fluoride in anything because fluoride <laughs> calcifies the pineal gland and dulce, it makes gotta, it more Gotta dulcet. not calcify that pineal gland. You yeah. Need, well, you need that pineal gland firing on all cylinders. <laughs> do your third eye, Jody. Come yeah, on, get with it. Um, so I used to have to buy jugs of water um, from... I think it was a food land or food basics and it was quite a walk. And I used to have to carry these like jugs <laughs> because he refused to use tap water because tap water has fluoride in it. And it's the government putting fluoride in your water to like make you more docile and unaware of the systems that they've created to control you. I want to say just for those who I'm going to let you finish, but Michael Van Holst, who's the conservative <laughs> candidate in a riding uh, next to us, is a city councillor that uh, believes these things about fluoride, too. Yeah. So. Oh, toothpaste, too. So we used to have Lush's Toofy Tabs. You know what the flavor of the Toofy Tabs were? Fucking wasabi. It was disgusting. <laughs> that does sound disgusting. It was so gross. So imagine you're waking up first thing in the morning and you're brushing your teeth with wasabi. Jesus That's what Christ. it tastes like. And the reason we got these Toofy Tabs is because they don't have fluoride. But if you've done any research on what's beneficial about fluoride is it really helps um, whiten your teeth and prevent them from getting cavities. So I did notice when I used this not fluoride toothpaste that my teeth looked a lot worse. worse. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I never felt as clean as when I would go home and brush my teeth with proper fluoride toothpaste. So I always had to start bringing toothpaste and hiding it so he wouldn't find out that I was using fluoride toothpaste. But I just hated those toothpaste so much. But the, anyways, I'm going, I'm ranting on getting on topic. <laughs> but the reason I'm just saying this is like he believed all these things because years before that, he was a high school dropout. Yep. 
didn't really have any friends, would watch the news and say the world was really fucked up and, like, get really depressed and sad. And so instead of sitting in that state of, like, being sad and depressed and actually working through some of the issues he had, he decided to, like, hop on the conspiracy bandwagon train because it made him feel like governments are out to control us and there's a new world order and the alien he believed in the reptilian thing too he'd say things like there's aliens and they like probably created us they created us and like they need the gold to conduct their spaceships like he used to say things like that all the time well usually connects to atlantis that somehow the aliens were like living that was one of them he's like we don't really know what the truth is I love I love when the the conspiracy theories start, start to self segregate where you have like the Atlantis people and the non Atlantis people and they're they're both like that's ridiculous and they start yeah. fighting with each other but yeah Earth, Earth is flat because I've never really been to space have you been to space have you seen the Earth from space therefore you don't Checkmate. actually know yeah that's what he used to say things like that all the time to me and would just go off on like these little rants but it made him feel like he had some sort of purpose, like how you're saying. Yeah. Cause I used to sit there and be like, how could you fucking believe half this shit? And I used to be very nice about it. Cause he is a really nice person. He doesn't have these alt-right views at all, but he did, he will listen to Jordan Peterson and take little nuggets from Jordan Peterson and be like, that's a great point. And it would be things like clean your fucking room or beat your children. He thinks was good. Cause just the way it made him feel something right. Like he was kind of like connected yeah. more to all these woke well, that's what I like. This is why I wanted to highlight this story. And it's going to be a common theme in the rest of this segment, which is that the reason why these beliefs are dangerous is because of the overlap in them. Yeah. And like, and, and eventually you see this drift of, of like England moving from more of the conspiracy stuff to the lizard people stuff to the like the, the white nationalist stuff. And the, like, the worry is like Ezra plays that role, too. Yeah. His views are on that cusp. And here's the thing is if you bring in people to Ezra, a small subset of that people are then going to be branching out to the Daily Stormer, to these other things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at least he's not as bad to say like things like lizard people. I feel like he would be like, that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. But I think for him, he, he's got his one foot in like two domains. Like he, you can still tell that Ezra wants a kind of public credibility. He want, I mean, he wants access to the media party, even though he gonna defeat the media party so he went he created total fascism but then he felt like total fascism was too too wordy it was mostly (laughs) (laughs) too total no i I mean actually wasn't total enough uh (laughs) he just felt like because like the way it was set up it was more like a blog but like the post would be like super long and rambly and he wanted something that was much more like uh the image boards found in 4chan so it can oh. appeal to more of like the youth demographic and the meme culture. And that's when he created Daily Stormer. To be clear about the content found on the Daily Stormer, I thought I would uh, highlight a few choice headlines of the articles on the website. Uh, such as, all intelligent people in history dislike the Jews. Wow. And then there's this one. Thieving, lying, sleazy, greasy billionaire Jew threatens British member of parliament. And just so you... you don't think they're just uh, people angry at Jews. They also had this headline. Mystery. Meningitis outbreak in... And then slur for gay people because I'm not going to say the word. So they're homophobic as well. Hmm. If that wasn't enough, the Charleston church shooter uh, who shot up a black church uh, back in 2015 
he and we mentioned him last week as wearing the Rhodesian flag. So yeah. this is someone we've covered before. He was someone who commented on Stormer articles. We have evidence that he frequented their their chats. We also know that the Pittsburgh synagogue shooter, he is someone who actively shared articles on social media from the Daily Stormer. So it's not just that this website is just about memes. It's actively inspiring people who then go on murderous, murderous racist rampages. Great. Those are the kind of people we're dealing with. And unless you are under the illusion that this is just England, I, I want to show you. Here's Robert Ray, who earlier in the day, before he interviewed Faith Goldie on his crypto report, uh, he was actually in the Vice Media uh, video that got a lot of play. So this is someone you actually probably ha- have heard because I think you've watched this this video, but you probably weren't aware that he's the guy who ended up interviewing Faith Goldie. Who, what do you do for the Daily Stormer? I am a feature writer. I do the Crypto Report, and uh, I'm generally their man on the ground at events. So uh, what do you hope to get out of today? Like, wh- why? what does it mean to you? Well, for one thing, it means that we're showing to this parasitic class of anti-white vermin that this is our country. This country was built by our... It gets worse. ...stained by us. It's going to remain our country. I believe, as you can see, we are stepping off the Internet in a big way. Uh, For instance, last night at the Torch Walk, there were hundreds and hundreds of us. People realize they're not atomized individuals. They're part of a larger whole because we have been spreading our memes. We have been organizing on the Internet. And so now they're coming out. And now, as you can see today, we greatly outnumbered the uh, anti-white, anti-American filth. And at some point, we will have enough power that we will clear them from the streets forever. That which is degenerate in white countries will be removed. So (laughs) so this is not subtle white nationalism. This is someone who's literally talking about ethnic cleansing on the American streets. And this is the person that Faith Goldie felt comfortable walking in and giving an interview to moments after she witnessed a car run into a crowd of people killing someone. It's just so, it's almost like he's playing an act, like a acting role. for Like, it's almost unbelievable that... Yeah, and he fits the role. Like, he he's that southern hillbilly-esque kind of voice. Yeah, it's just uh, uh, too much of a cliche. So we're going to get into the interview now. And I want to, I, 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 we're going to listen to most of it. It was a 12-minute interview. It was just a brief sort of thing. And so most of it we're going to play. I, I cut out some of it just because some of it is filler of them just talking about stuff we already know about what happened during the event. The, the first clip I want to play near the beginning, though, just so that we're not under some sort of illusion, is Goldie knows what she's doing here. Okay. And the reason why she's she knows what she's doing here is because she's able to crack jokes like this. Have you ever seen one go down this way before? No, absolutely not. I think that the police failed on many, many accounts here on many fronts. I think that the fact that the um, police came in when you guys all had your permits and you sure showed up in hordes, and I, I, I salute you all for doing just that. Um, not a Roman salute, guys. <laughs> so in case you missed that, what she said is, I salute you guys for doing this, paused and then said, not a Roman salute, guys. The Roman salute being the Zig Hale of, yeah. of Hitler. So it's clear Faith Goldie knows what audience she's talking to. No, exactly. Such that yeah. this is a joke that would land. And this is one minute into the interview. So you could tell she knows where she is. She's not unfamiliar with who these people are. 
in the context of the clip, she describes the whole situation and they speculate that it seems like it's a setup by the cops to make things worse for the alt-right. And Ray indicates he has similar things. Uh, he has seen similar things that the cops do at Richard Spencer events. So he is here raising Richard Spencer. And again, people know who Richard, Sp like Goldie would know who Richard Spencer would be in this timeline. She probably already knew who he was. But Richard Spencer was now a media figure because he had already done the Nazi salute after Trump won and then again was punched in the face in January that of fantastic. that year. There's no way that Faith didn't know who he was. And so you're in this room talking to the guy. She then sympathizes with them saying that the cops always do this to the alt-right, then raves about the size of the alt-right crowd, remembering to reiterate that this is true whether people love you or hate you. So this is a common theme in this interview is every time she says something that's like leaning towards controversial She'll throw in this line of whether people love you or hate you. And the reason why she's doing that is because she's realizing she's getting a little too close to the sun. That she doesn't want to seem... So she's like saying, you had this huge crowd size. You had, right, all these things. And that's true whether people love you or hate you, right? So it's almost like you can hear that she's raving in the tone of her voice. But she's knowing she has to cover her ass in, yeah. in some sort of way. Ray then comes in and... Uh, I want to play you this longish clip because it really highlights the way that even this crypto reporter says things that are almost identical to the same shit that we hear every week on Rebel Media. So like these these worlds are not that far apart. And, and I think that's the point of this is that for so long because of cultural pressure and you know it comes from so many things from you know the, the culture that happens at work because of and schools, and schools, and everything that white people who have an opinion about something, if it, it might offend someone who's not white or someone who's white who has sensibilities that it might offend, they keep quiet about this, and eventually it builds a, a subconscious, if not fully conscious, fear of ever speaking your mind, even on some completely reasonable point. For example, the Google executive who was just fired for his extremely reasonable, uh, I guess it was an inner office email about, you know, maybe we should rethink some of this diversity hiring stuff. It wasn't even his idea, it was science. Right, right. right. <laughs> and, and so I want to stop there. So that was, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but that was James Damore, who was a Google employee that sent yeah. an inter office memo basically claiming that uh, men are better at the computer skills than women and therefore di diversity hires are bad and stuff like this. And notice how Goldie chimes in there. It's just science. He's just talking about science. So here again is Faith Goldie agreeing with the white nationalists, albeit in terms of uh, not directly related to white nationalist stuff. But And it's not science. Uh, James Damore obviously cherry-picked stuff and there's a lot of evidence that the reason why you have more men in computer science than women often has to do with the culture of uh, those fields. Yeah, super sexist. Yep, old boys club, but we'll continue on. So what, what, we're, what we're doing, I think, uh, and it started with the big powerhouse websites who just push the narrative right as hard as we can. And now that we're at, you know, the, doing that with the internet and having people able to come together on the, the electronic format where, oh yeah, there are all these other people who think the same way I do. And then the all right rises and suddenly you realize, whoa, there are millions of other people who think the way I do. Now we're starting to come out 
and that's going to make all, and I don't mean that in the normal way. We're starting to come out of the house in groups. No, you do mean in the normal way. Well, I mean in the normal way, the heteronormative way. <laughs> but Again, I want to pause there and highlight that here's Faith Goldie joking uh, with a homophobic joke. So, great. And now we're starting to come out and enforce, and the only thing that they have left now is to sick the government on us. It doesn't matter whether the courts, it doesn't matter what the courts say. It doesn't matter what the Constitution says. If they don't like it, they're just going to make up an excuse, shut it down, get violent with everybody, and then the media is going to spin it as something else. And, and what you have there is not rule of law. This is like um, organized anarchy directly I'll, from above. I'll tell you right now, I think today proved that the- It's the media party. And the media party has a conservative bias and the, uh, the courts are in on it. Like right, two weeks ago, he was complaining that he was going to lose his court case because there's this liberal bias in the courts and there's no way he can win because they don't believe in the Constitution anymore and so forth. So it's, it's the same bullshit that Ezra spins every week. Rule of law is dead in America. The fact that there is one set of laws that is applied to the left and another side that is applied to the right. And, and that does not spell a good future for America. As far as um, the cultural shift, look, um, racial identity politics is alive and well in America and it has been for decades. Right. But it's been, it's been focusing on non-whites and you know that very well, uh, more so than, than most. And, and what you have is a bunch of young white men who have been completely drenched in non-white identity politics. And any time that their own race has been brought up, they're told that it's your fault, you're culpable, and, and you basically amount to zero. Um, and, and you got that mixed with a whole bunch of young men with lots of testosterone uh, flowing through their veins. And this is, I think, um, from a bird's eye, a, a young man's struggle by and large. Um, that, that, that makes a bit of a, an interesting mixture. When you tell them that on top of everything now, that they've got this revelation, this sort of enlightenment, this, this renaissance that is occurring, um, that they can't speak, well, guess what happens historically when you shut people's mouths? They start to resort to fists. Exactly. And, and what else is there? I mean, when, when we step out to speak our minds and we're met with violence, we're not protected from it, we can either lay down and allow ourselves to basically be stomped to death by, you know, the Orwellian boot stamping on your face forever, or we can stand up and oppose it. And the, I think that's the thing that the government and the left uh, and, you know, the establishment media and all that, that's what they're scared to death of. And, and I would like to ask you about this. Uh, I asked uh, Andrew Anglin about this, but we got cut off. Uh, you know, the, the media portrayal of this has been, it's all they want to talk about. Mm -hmm. And there's, right, and there's footage yeah. of 100% of it from many, many angles that the media has access to. Much of it, I saw them taking myself. But all they will show is like a couple of seconds right before this battle at this monument last night the torch torchlight thing so he's he's describing how the media covers these things and it's the exact same frame that ezra talks about these things of like they only cover the one side and they only show the small footage of the right-wing people doing bad stuff yeah. and never i mean we just had him deal with tommy robinson when he gave uh the to uh Interpol, he only gave the footage of the Antifa people, wouldn't show footage yeah, of Thomas. Yeah. It's, it's the same bullshit. She's, I mean, she referred to what's happening as a renaissance and an enlightenment. Like, these people are becoming aware of these, these identity politics issues, are finding their identity, and then 
coming to the realization of like their own tribe of whiteness and fighting this thing right so she's the one who put it in that framing uh and the way this ends in this clip is is kind of telling and uh yeah and a couple of seconds of people battling in the street in front of this thing today they don't show what set it off they don't show what happened and then they have talking heads come on and just explain to you what you're supposed to believe happened. The context is irrelevant in today's media, right? Um, all that matters is narrative. And we know that the cultural Marxists own the media. We know that they own academia, etc. And they're pushing a particular narrative. And if you speak against it, well, then they'll have the full force of the state and federal government ahead of, uh, on you. And, and I will say this is something that I echoed on Stefan Molyneux's channel. That annoys me so much. Cultural Marxists? Uh, it's just, well, there's just been, if you study anything in history people who actually did have heavy leaning uh left ideas were marx self-proclaimed marxists even marxist scholars were killed a lot of the times for those having those ideas and viewpoints so like during world war ii when japan had an uprise of fascism um they killed like assassinated a bunch of scholars who studied marxist thought in a japanese perspective um and that's happened all over the world. Or even when uh, World War II was happening as well, you have the Frankfurt School. All those people who are part of it had to move to the States yep. because they were being prosecuted because, one, majority of them were Jewish, and then, two, they were Marxist scholars, so anyone that had those viewpoints were to be hung. So they went and escaped and moved over. So when she says things like that, like, they're all they own the media and stuff a lot of times that's conflated to being jew because a lot of times people conflate cultural marxist with jewish people and then another thing too is it's just not ac historically accurate because we've seen throughout history these groups actually were killed for having certain beliefs and they're crying about freedom of speech meanwhile the freedom of speech they want to shut out those viewpoints uh committed genocide and assassinated millions of people but so, even even the phrase cultural Marxism comes from the Nazi comes from the Nazi phrase yeah. uh, cultural Bolshevism, which was an attack against Marxist Jews from Russia. So like, like even that itself is a racist dog whistle. It an is anti Semitic yeah. dog whistle. Well and the reason I mean and, and it was used to apply I mean, I don't think the name was used until oh I can't remember, it was some uh, American politician who came up with the name. And he was using it to refer to the Frankfurt School. And most of the people in the Frankfurt School were Jewish. Jewish yeah. So when you use the phrase cultural the main, Marxist. The yeah. main, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's all, it's anti-Semitic tropes all the way down. Yeah. Which is again, like the weird thing. Ezra's framing of the media party constantly is is uh, anti-Semitic adjacent. Like you, you could tell that Ezra's not saying that Jews control the media. But he does still think that there's this weird media that's up there that is somehow dangling some sort of strings uh, and doing this manipulated stuff. We're going to finish this long clip. We've only got about like 20 seconds left. And uh, Faith Goldie says some stuff. Earlier today, um, I do not think it is outside of the realm of what's possible that within the next five to ten years, we will probably closer to five, we will have alt-right um, men and women running for political office. Yes. And, and Like you? Listen. So she says there's going to be alt-right people running for office in the next five years. 
and the applause start. And if you listen very carefully, you can hear people in the background saying, Hail Victory. That's scary. Yep. And Faith Goldie did not decide while that was happening to get up and get the fuck out of there. She uh, continued to sit through the whole friggin' thing. She was like, thanks, guys. Yeah. What an honor. And you can tell how easy it would be, again, bringing it back to the Anglin stuff and and how this plays out, how you can get from an Ezra-like position to Robert Ray's position, how easily that jump would be, given their whole framing about how the media does stuff and all that fun stuff. Uh, And then in this next clip, she's no longer couching anything. She just lets it all hang out. And and there's going to be other things that I'll pause and uh, we'll talk about. But this is... This is pretty damn bad. And, and that's the bottom line. Uh, once you have awakened the sleeping lion, you're in trouble. And I believe that lion's been awakened. And, uh, you know, England compares this to the beer hall push. And I think that's correct. This- Do you know what the, the beer hall push was? No. So that was a riot that led to the arrest of Hitler, who then, while he was in prison, wrote Mein Kampf. But at the beer hall push is actually when he rocketed to national acclaim. And so he's, Robert Ray is saying, this is like the beer hall push. So this is the moment, Charlottesville, what happened at Charlottesville, when like the Hitler is arising kind of thing. Uh, And again, I mean, Faith Goldie might not be a historian, so maybe it didn't like hit her what the beer hall push was. But she's sitting in this room with people talking about like the new rise of Hitler. So there you have it. Is the event that is going to set things in motion where all the rest of the people who think the way we think and feel the way we feel are going to decide that their normie jobs and their mortgages and their reputation at the country club and all that are no longer important enough for them to remain silent because this is about the future of our people. This is about a place for our children and their children and uh, and the traditions that have been left down to us. And in just a couple of generations, everything traditional, everything that has been believed in by this society have been completely torn asunder. Amen. And we- She just said amen. Yeah. Just want to let that sink in. In his ramble about the right wing is going to rise up and white nationalism is going to rise up and we're going to bring back traditional white culture, she throws in a name. Finally have a movement that is willing to stand up and say it and articulate it clearly and intelligently. This is why America, this is the new Berlin. We have been completely steeped in all that is debaucherous, degenerate, pornographic, salacious, self-indulgent, and repugnant. And there are people, look, traditionalism does not exist because uh, it's just time-tested and true, because it's real. And I believe that uh, it is part of the human um, psyche and heart that we yearn for, uh, we hunger for, for truth. And, and folks are now waking up to it, despite decades of lies being rammed down our throats. So that's not long, no longer whether uh, people love you or hate you. This is her endorsing the rise of white nationalism. Then we end with a off-color joke. Uh, by Robert Ray. So here it is. Yeah. Have you ever seen Ezra Levant mix meat and dairy? <laughs> you know? I'll, I'll tell you that if you, if you um, and this is something that he agrees with, if you ever offer him free um, bacon, it's a real, it's like free 
bacon. Free bacon. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't think. I think that he keeps kosher. I don't know, but I will say this: Ezra Levant knows where I stand on a lot of issues, and he has afforded me a tremendous amount of freedom. That's great, and, and I just want to thank you once again. I know it's a really big deal for uh, somebody in your position, in as large. Uh, you're not mainstream media; you're alternative media, but you're very large alternative media. Thank you. Uh, to come on this show, uh, I was just shocked when you walked in here, and I was told that you were willing to come on the crypto report and uh, I'll, I'll, I'm in your debt forever. No, hey, everybody, let's have it. I can't even believe this exists though because it's just so fucking awful. It, it is just fucking awful. But like, she engages with anti-Jewish jokes with a neo-Nazi and then like, I mean, she, she does say that like, she's happy Ezra gives her the freedom. But, like, at no point does she, like, stand up for his Jewishness in any capacity or defend him against the kind of anti-Semitism that's on display there. It's a really terrible fucking interview. (laughs) I'm now going to... So that was the interview. And that dropped just uh, after the day of all the riots and stuff. And then the car... uh, And then the person murdered uh, Heather Heyer with the car and injured a bunch of others. And then... That was the 12th. So now we're on the 14th. I I will say, I don't actually know when the Crypto Reports podcast went online. It could have gone online on the 12th or 13th, but, uh, or even on the 14th. Because there is a timeline here where clearly Ezra doesn't know this thing exists and eventually he finds out it exists. So I don't know the exact timeline and when the interview drops. But on the 14th, which is two days after Heather Heyer was murdered, Faith Goldie releases a, a, a video clip on uh, Rebel. And so we're going to play part of that clip. It breaks my heart that a young woman left her house on Saturday morning and will never return. It's horrific. Her family is quite sincerely in my prayers. And I condemn James Fields' alleged actions in the strongest possible terms. I thank God for having been spared from this carnage. Now, pause there. I find it weird that she says alleged actions. It's just a bit weird, but probably doesn't mean anything. A word to the growing chorus of haters who have called me every slanderous name, threatened to dox those closest to me, and many of whom have wished me dead. You don't define me. So please, allow me to define myself. I do not bathe in tears of white guilt. That doesn't make me a white supremacist. I oppose state multiculturalism and affirmative action. That doesn't make me a racist. I reject cultural Marxism, but that doesn't make me a fascist. I think the false song of social justice has rotted the West from the inside out, but I have never called for violence against any of their adherents. I love my country and I want its borders protected. That doesn't make me alt-right. And for Pete's sakes, I work for a Jewish boss and I'm a Christian advocate for the one state solution for Israel. I'm not a damn neo-Nazi. When I said that the Charlottesville statement was a thoughtful document, it was not an endorsement. It was my sense that there were grounds upon which to engage in conversation, not physical combat, with the alt-right, something that I made very clear in my interviews, even encouraging the left to make a rebuttal 20-point manifesto. When I said that there is a rising in white racial consciousness, it was because I believe that to be true. It is an observation I have made and one that laid bare on the streets of Charlottesville this weekend. So you can tell the setup here. She's framing this in terms of this is just observations. I'm just making observations. They're like, 
you know, the, the truth doesn't care about your feelings kind of sentiment. Also notice how she took, she, she, she went immediately from Heather Heyer and like how sad she is that Heather Heyer did to making this all about her and how a victim she is. Well, they do that all the time though. They make it always seem like they're, everyone's out to get them and stuff and don't want to take any accountability for the problematic views that they have. And then there was the, the other line there, I forget exactly how she worded it, but basically saying that she found these arguments compelling in some sort of thing. What she's referring to is she had appeared on Stefan Molyneux's show uh, a week prior to Charlottesville happening. And Stefan Molyneux at that time still was a problem, but uh, he wasn't an outright nationalist at that point. He eventually, in 2008, is now a full-on white nationalist, but at the time he wasn't. But on that show, she basically said that the sort of manifesto that the alt-right put out prior to the Unite the Right rally had some things, and the left should address it in some sort of dialogue. Like, they're good, well-thought-out positions that you should argue with. And some of those positions that she like labeled as well-thought-out, one of them was the Jewish question. Which, if you're not familiar with that language, is the what do we do with all these uh, yeah, like conniving Jews? Yeah, like that shouldn't be a well thought out position at all. She's trying to deflect that. Like, I was just saying that they have well thought out positions and saying that the left should rebut them in like a dialogue. When it's like, you literally thought that the Jewish question was a well thought out uh, position. This video, which is still up, has over four hundred thousand views and has 20,000 likes to like a thousand dislikes. So it's like a highly liked and appreciated video on the Rebel News. It's a five minute clip and I, and I cut some of it out just for time. A lot of it was filler or just describing what happened in uh, Charlottesville. But uh, she ends with this and so I, I wanna play it. Sorry guys, just because you label everyone you disagree with a Nazi doesn't make it the truth. For the Rebel.media, I'm Faith Golding. So this is the thing that they always do. It's like, just because you label us a Nazi doesn't make it true. I'll reiterate, this is like literally two days after she sat on a neo-Nazi <laughs> podcast yeah. with with uh, no compunction. But again, the world might not know that as that video landed. The next day, Ezra releases a video distancing himself from the alt-right. Not criticizing Goldie yet, but he's trying to distance himself from the alt-right. In fact, he he starts the video off by saying he sent Goldie to cover both sides of the Charlottesville rally. Our own Faith Goldie covered the alt-right rally in Charlottesville. She also covered the leftist response to it. And she was reporting from the midst of a leftist counter-protest at the moment someone rammed their car into the crowd. Look at this shocking footage from Faith. He plays the clip of Heather Heyer... Uh, being murdered yeah and the thing is there's no reason for him to play the clip he was just like look at the awesome footage that goldie showed and like played the clip like it was so self-serving and disgusting and again i'm not going to play it uh, now the events in charlottesville and our coverage of them has become fodder for our critics who are desperate to paint us as racist or even neo-nazi it's bizarre and we have people of a variety of races and backgrounds working with us i mean simply covering controversial figures doesn't mean we agree with those controversial figures. It means we're covering the news, not just covering Justin Trudeau's socks. So <laughs> <laughs> Old Ezra, same as the new Ezra. They're all all the same. And and he actually had a few uh, non-white people on the Rebel at this time. 
So it is a factual statement. But you can tell that the non-white people got the fuck off that show <laughs> shortly after all this happened. But yeah, now here's here's Ezra trying to distance himself from the, uh, the alt-right. Now, when I heard of the alt-right for the first time about a year ago, I thought it simply meant the insurgent right, the politically incorrect right, the grassroots right, the nationalistic right, the right that was a counterweight to the establishment of the GOP, the right that was backing Donald Trump and his Make America Great Again style over Jeb Bush and the swamp. It was unashamed right-wingedness with a sense of humor. That's my kind of right-wingedness. Uh, prominent alt-right personalities back then included the outrageous but lovable Milo Yiannopoulos. Milo Yiannopoulos' uh, fall from grace had not happened yet. So this is a moment where Ezra can like, see, we're all just a fun, loving group of people like Milo Yiannopoulos. I will say that it has come out uh, since this. I think it was in just a couple months. It came out that Milo Yiannopoulos was working with uh, racist groups like the American Renaissance uh, to basically oh, yeah. take racist talking points and insert them into his Breitbart articles. I mean, even then he wasn't sort of like removed from the right. He, his sort of like ultimate removal from the right was when he was on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast and basically soft endorsed pedophilia or basically said that it was not abusive and other stuff. Uh, and so he has extremely fallen from grace in their eyes. But at this moment, he's just he's just a lovable gay person who likes black people. Who, by the way, just happens to be a half Jewish gay man who liked blacks. I remember when Hillary Clinton made her bizarre campaign speech attacking the alt-right. And it sounded no different to me than any of her other deplorables insults. So that made me even more interested. These are racist ideas, baiting ideas, anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant, anti-women, all key tenants making up the emerging racist ideology known as the alt-right. Here's, like, I, again, trying to get into his brain. He's making the case that he had no idea that the alt-right was racist until what happened in Charlottesville. So he plays a clip of Hillary Clinton framing it as like, I just thought they were being ridiculous leftists. When clearly Hillary Clinton knew that they were racists. Yeah. Like people knew for a long fucking time the alt-right was racist. You didn't need Charlottesville to, to sort of highlight that for you. But for Ezra, it was like, whoa, I didn't even know. Hands. Have courage, my friend. Yeah. Uh Hans, I've just noticed something. These communists are all cowards. <laughs> Have you looked at our caps recently? Our caps? The badges on our caps. Have you looked at them? What? No. A bit. They've got skulls on them. <laughs> Have you noticed that our caps have actually got little pictures of skulls on them? I don't, uh... Hans... Are we the baddies? A year ago, if you would ask me uh, what being alt-right meant, I would say it means saying no to wishy-washy fake conservatives and having fun on the internet with goofy images like memes, like this frog named Pepe, which somehow became a symbol for being right-wing. I mean, it was young and energetic and fun, frankly. But the alt-right has changed into something new, especially since Trump's election. Now the leading figure, at least in terms of media attention, is Richard Spencer and other white nationalists. By that, I mean people whose central organizing principle is race. The alt-right was coined by Richard Spencer. Yeah. 
So you can't say that like now the alt-right is represented by Richard Spencer. The alt-right was Richard Spencer. He came up with the fucking term. So for you to like to sit there and just be like, oh, when we endorsed the alt-right before, it was because they were all just fun-loving people posting innocent Pepe memes. Like, fuck you, Ezra. The, the rest of the video that, uh, of Ezra's thing, because it's a bit longer, is basically him saying that the alt-right hasn't been violent until Charlottesville, which isn't true. He, he mentions that the left wing has been the most violent, and he uh, indicates that there was the, the police shooting in Dallas, Texas, with the, the one uh, black individual that shot some cops. However, like he doesn't even mention the fact that just back in 2015, uh, there was the Charlton, uh, Charleston church shooting, uh, which, again, predates all of this stuff. And again, yeah. you have this person who was involved in these same groups that Ezra is involved in, walking into a black shirt church and, and shooting people. Uh, but he ends the show on the most weird and bizarre kind of exploitative humble brag. We're the most honest reporters out there, which is why everyone from NBC to CBS to Reuters has asked us for permission to use Faith Goldie's footage from this weekend. How does that make you honest? You just had a reporter standing there who happened to witness something that wasn't planned. By the 16th and then by the 17th, everything is falling apart for Ezra. What happened on the 16th was that the co-founder of uh, Rebel Media, Brian Lilly, left. And he left citing poor editorial decisions surrounding uh, the Charlottesville coverage. Then news broke that Gavin McGinnis is leaving. And he left because uh, the claim was that he was being outbid by some other uh, American company. And like we already talked about that yeah. in the Gavin McGinnis episode. And then on the 17th, a video was posted that we've already played clips from yeah. by a gentleman named Kaolin Robertson who basically says uh, Ezra was blackmailing him and then played the sign the petition, sign the petition, sign the petition video, right? So that dropped on the 17th. And then after that is happening, that's when Andrew Shear and Justin Kenny pulled all their support from the rebels saying that they won't go on rebel shows anymore. That's when basically Ezra decides to fire Faith Goldie. Hamish Marshall, who is Andrew Shear's campaign manager, didn't leave Rebel at this point. He didn't leave Rebel until September or October. Yeah. Which is around the time when he joined Andrew Shear's campaign to be his campaign manager. So he didn't jump the ship when all the shit was happening like uh, Brian Lilly did. He stuck around uh, until he got this other job. Yeah. So I don't know. Does that mean that uh, Hamish Marshall soft endorsed the white nationalism that was being, happening on the show or what? Uh, I mean, we can't exist in their mind, but that's just context uh, for what's happening. But we're going to play Ezra's saying goodbye to Faith Goldie. I like Faith Goldie. How can you not? Brilliant, beautiful, tough, hardworking, great journalist. She's done amazing work from her investigation into illegal immigrants at the U.S. border to bringing humanitarian aid to Iraq for Christian refugees to being the most pro-Israel star in our company. I was upset that she went to the Charlottesville protest despite my direction to her not to go in any capacity, but... Now, he says this, that he told her not to go in any capacity. In the clip that he released on the uh, 14th, he doesn't say that at all. In yeah. fact, he kind of hints that he sent her to cover both sides. Now, I don't, I don't know if he just didn't say it then, that he actually told her not to because he still wanted to make Goldie look good or what. Like, who knows where the lie is? But clearly his story has changed in two days. We all screw up. You don't throw someone overboard for making a mistake. Each of us are second chancers here. Our whole company is a second chance. 
But then I saw the news that she had gone on a podcast from the Daily Stormer, and it was just too far. So we said goodbye. Tough week, but we're going to get back to work now. For the Rebel.media, I'm Ezra Levant. And you can hear the, the lump in his throat. He does not want to let Goldie go, yeah. but also he has had a rough, <laughs> a rough week. His, his media empire, if you will, is crumbling all around him. Now, you might think that this is a surprise to Ezra. He didn't know that Faith Goldie was this white nationalist. Well, mere months before Charlottesville, Faith Goldie, Sheila Gunn-Reed, and Gavin McGinnis did a two-hour drunken live stream where the whole thing was them cracking jokes about Ezra's Jewishness, calling him a Jew bag and him being stingy with money and all that fun stuff. Uh, I didn't find the video, and so I don't have any clips, but it was reported on that this is something that happened. To rub it all in, the video was titled, 10 Things I Hate About Jews, until Ezra, apparently, after media attention was brought to it, retitled it, 10 Things I Hate About Israel, as if that somehow made it better. Then in May of 2017, again, mere months away from uh, Charlottesville happening, Faith Goldie released a video on Rebel Media titled White Genocide in Canada with a question mark. And the video has since been taken down, but it exists on the internet, so you can easily find it if you wanted to. But for those who don't know, the term white genocide was popularized by David Lane, who was a member of the neo-Nazi group The Order, who believed that the ZOG, which stands for Zionist Occupied Government, was using culture to promote race mixing to eventually kill off white people. David Lane died in prison in 2007 as a convicted felon for being involved in the murder of Alan Berg, who was a Jewish-American radio talk show host. Uh, And Berg was murdered in 1984. David Lane was the getaway driver. Okay. Goldie's video is a hodgepodge of cherry-picked statistics, so it's nothing worth uh, clipping. She's just pointing out uh, all these demographic statistics that shows that somehow we're going to end up as a majority-minority which saying that out loud sounds fucking stupid to begin with. And it, and it doesn't mean anything. I mean, like, for one, the concepts of race are wishy-washy to begin with. Like, how do you calculate that? And then to somehow think... The whole video is said with a tone of concern. Like, somehow this is a bad thing that, that white people aren't going to be represented as the majority. But nothing is said in the video to explain why white people not being the majority is bad. And often what happens is this is played out as, a, as an issue with culture that somehow the immigrants we're letting in are coming with bad cultures. And they often talk about how, I think she does mention in the video the fact that there are these segregated communities where people don't feel like they need to learn English and French. They can just speak Chinese in their community or something like this. And part of the thing that is never said by these people is often, not often, like this is almost proven scientifically that the next generation that goes to public schools in Canada and is exposed to English and and people who are Canadian school kids all start to become more like the broader Canadian culture. Yeah. Because unlike their parents, they're, they're grown up and steeped in it. Yeah. So like even then, like if you want to talk about the, so like, dissolving Canadian culture, whatever the fuck that is that these (laughs) racists want to talk about. Even that isn't happening the way that they think it is just because we're immigrating people who could come from different cultures. It's just a bunch of nonsense. But again, it's, it's a white, like that phrase 
was coined by a fucking neo-Nazi. Sensor firing, you might think that uh, Faith Goldie would try to distance herself from white nationalism, but uh, in reality, she has felt even less restrained to express her white nationalist leanings, even openly describing herself as alt-right. So back when we were listening to the interview, she wasn't referring to herself as that. She was, you know, I'm just speaking objectively as an observer. Now she identifies as alt-right. And in December 2017, Faith even recited the 14 words on a podcast hosted by a white nationalist called Millennial Woes. Now, again, we're going to play the clip and you're going to hear what the 14 words are. But the 14 words were coined by David Lane while in prison for being involved in the murder of Alan Berg. And, and just so you know, 1488 is a common thing that you, I think we've said this on the podcast before that uh, uh, neo-Nazis like to say online. And the 14 stands for the 14 words and the 88 stands for H.H. Heil Hitler. Because yeah. the eighth letter of the alphabet is H. She's talking to a guy named Millennial Woes. And Millennial Woes was a, a speaker at the event that uh, Richard Spencer was at when he said Hail Victory and was doing all the Nazi salutes. So this is, again, someone who's who's steeped in that culture. Are, are, you, are you trying to get me to say the 14 words, chat? Is that is that what this is? <laughs> okay, he, he wants no, to... No, 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 no. It's, uh, no, I don't want you. It's just that the chat we're asking you to. So I thought, well, should I should I propose that or not? Okay, all right. Do you want me to do it? Oh, you must yeah, have sure. the security of our people and a future for white children. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that controversial though? Like, I don't see that, that that's controversial. She has it memorized. Like, that's not like, she didn't read it. She was asked to recite it and she could just recite it off the top. I mean, I can't even recite it now. And I <laughs> just listen to her say it. She has it memorized. Is that bad? Like, I, like, my husband, I, I think it's controversial to say the opposite. Like, I think, I think, I think it's, it's controversial to say, like, we must not secure our future and we must not secure the existence. Like, like what, like, I, like, that's the whole thing is that once you just think about this, like very, very simply and logically, you realize that it's, it's not like, okay, like, haha, rah, rah, but like, it's, these aren't sophisticated ideas at their most like basis point. Like we want to survive. Mm, exactly. Like, Exactly. The, the chat is going ecstatic that you that you said those words. <laughs> I'm sorry. I did it with such a big deal. I'm I'm sorry. I'm a boomer. No, no. It's um. Both <laughs> well, are. It used to be. Let's put Hi, it this everyone. way. I love you all. Let's put it this way. Those fourteen words used to be more controversial than they are nowadays. And that's when a very, I was at Charlottesville, well, there were certain places you couldn't get into unless you recited it. <laughs> that's not a joke. One day I'll well, have a look. No, I told everyone it was oh. off the record for the entirety of that day. Some of the parts that were on the record and eventually cost me my job. She admits a lot in that clip about the fact that apparently she, the only way to get into certain places at Charlottesville was to use the 14 words. And that she told everyone she was off the record the whole day. And the one time something was on the record cost her her job. So who knows whatever the fuck else she said during yeah. that day. But clearly she was there to support these people. I mentioned this earlier in the show was that she went on a show for someone who was a conspiracy theorist about what happened at Charlottesville. And so I'm going to play you another clip of Millennial Woes talking to another individual a week before he had that interview with Faith Goldie where she recited the 14 words. Uh, and in this video, he's talking to someone named Carl Benjamin, who's also known as Sargon of Akkad. He's a internet personality who along with Tommy Robinson and another internet person named Count Dan Dankula, 
ran for the UK Independence Party during the European Parliament elections. Tommy eventually had to drop out of the party because he was even more racist <laughs> than the party is racist. But Carl Benjamin and Count Dankula were not without their uh, issues. So Carl Benjamin had tweeted at a UK uh, member of parliament saying that he wouldn't even rape her. Count Dankula taught his pug to Nazi salute when he said gas the Jews and eventually was fined by the uh, Scottish parliament. Yeah, Scottish law and uh, for hate speech. These are the types of people <laughs> that are in this this uh, yeah. periphery. But this is Millennial Woes chatting with uh Carl Benjamin. As I understand it, I thought Heather Hayes or Hare or whatever her name was, I thought she died of a heart attack. Yes. I, it looks like what happened is that she was shocked by the seeing the car crash happening yeah. and had a heart attack. <laughs> it, it's, laugh, it's really but... sort of... I, I know, I know. It's, you know, it's horrible, it's but it does seem like... a very dramatic reaction to, <laughs> it's, to a car it, crash. It's... It's it's more than the alt right being blamed for someone having a heart attack. Someone in tremendously bad physical condition has heart attack, and suddenly the alt right has murdered someone. Um, mm. This is something I'm surprised the alt right doesn't well, make a big deal out of. To be honest, you know, I would, I would have thought that. I would well, we tried to. And again, a week later, Faith appears on his show. Yeah. Doesn't care. She witnessed the thing fucking happen, and doesn't care to correct that record or uh, deal with that bullshit. Then in April 2008. Teen, <laughs> in April 2018, mere weeks after giving a white genocide talk at Wilfrid Laurier University, that was put on by Lindsay Shepard, someone else we've talked about on this podcast, yep. Goldie then took to the internet to promote a book that she was reading, and again, she's on a white nationalist podcast doing this, while wearing a t-shirt that says, not today, Satan. This one is a little bit edgier. It's called For My Legionaries. I just started reading it, and it's... Very, 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 I think, spot on, given what a lot of what the movement is talking about right now. And uh, yeah, so that's my last. I'm not finished that one yet, so I can't give it like my full stomp, but like so far, so good. That book, My Legionnaires, was written by a fascist in Romania who led the uh, Iron Guard in the 1930s. And as you're wondering... 1930s fascists were they anti-semitic yes and, and this should have been like so obvious to her while reading it because i mean she says she hasn't finished it and that was her excuse but you had chapters titled the attitude of the jewish press or the plans of judaism against the romanian nation like this should have been obvious to her and she came out being like oh i didn't realize that it was anti-semitic then in september october of 2018 faith goldie ran for mayor of toronto where she received endorsements both from Congressman Steve King, who's been kicked off of committees for uh, white supremacist language that he's used. And she also got endorsed by Alex Jones and got her picture taken with Rudy Giuliani. She, you know, she's surrounding herself with all the nice and wonderful people. She came third in that election, although not by a lot. No, she... Well, it was 25,667 votes, but that only represented 3.4% of the popular vote. So, 3.4% of people voting voted for her. That's still bad, but uh, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, that still means there's 25,667 white nationalists in Toronto that thought it totally cool to vote yeah, for someone Toronto. who said the 14 fucking words on a poor podcast. So that's it. That's pretty much my my coverage of uh, Faith Goldie. I do want to say, to just plug a few things, there is a great piece 
on Faith Goldie's background about like how she turned. And you're going to find a lot of similarities between what Anglin went through and all the other people. She fits a similar narrative. It's possible that her turn to the alt-right came when her mother died uh, when she was like in her 20s. Mm. And she was looking... Because apparently she used to be a feminist in high school, pro-gay rights. She was involved in the Laramie Project, which was... Uh, basically honoring the death of Matt Shepard, who was a person in the United States who was beaten because he was gay and left on a fence to die. And she was participating in, in groups that uh, were remembering him and some somewhere along the path uh, that ended. And like, you can't know exactly everything, but there's a great audio podcast. So the the piece is uh, from the magazine called the cut and it's written by Anna Silman. Anna Silman is a, Jewish person who is a friend of Faith Goldie in high school. Yeah. And at the end of uh, the piece, she basically meets, basically kind of like, not stocks, but like in the reporting, Faith Goldie wouldn't meet with her. So she went to one of Faith Goldie's events while she was running for mayor and kind of confronted her. But it started off friendly of like, oh, hey, remember high school, da, 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 da. And then she starts asking tough questions. And there's a podcast version of this too. So you can look up the cut. I think it was on October 30th, 2018. So you can scroll down and find it. But when Faith Goldie is confronted by her, it's super awkward. uh, And she tries to deflect because Anna is basically like, I'm Jewish. And you said the 14 words on a podcast. And she was just like, well, I just said them. And it's like, it doesn't mean that I'm like against an anti-Semite. In fact, I think it's very upsetting that you as a Jewish person who knows the heft of the Holocaust for you to accuse me as a Nazi is like really extreme. And like, and like Anna Silman comes on after playing that clip being like, my parents are not my parents, but I have family members who died in the fucking Holocaust. Like it's, it's not cool to then uh, say things like the 14 words and just get away with it. So I, I didn't want to play any of it because uh, that was their work and they did a great job. And so I would just direct, you should go read that article by Anna Silman in the cut and go watch that clip. I also want to say that uh, there was an article by antihate.ca, which basically listed uh, a lot of the videos that I, I played today. The sad thing is I didn't realize this was a resource until after I found all these videos myself. So, uh, but it's great that somebody compiled the list. So I'm going to have both the article by Anna Silman and the antihate.ca article uh, posted in the sort of like episode uh, description. So anyone can click that and uh, reach this stu- uh, research this stuff on your own if you want. So if I can wrap this whole thing up, the point of this journey was an act of memory in a sense. I'm sort of like inspired by this one quote by Gore Vidal, who once wrote that in the context of the United States, that uh, happily for the busy lunatics that rule over us, we are permanently the United States of amnesia. We learn nothing because we remember nothing. And Ezra really wants us to forget the reasons everyone began to jump ship back in 2017. And other than the dedicated activists who continue to educate themselves and continue to confront the fascist threat, everyone else is starting to move on, especially people like uh, the editors at the Globe and Mail. And giving Ezra credibility by giving him the platform, by publishing his articles, allows Ezra to have a wider reach. And the wider reach comes with an increased chance of reaching uh, more people like Faith Goldie in a moment of desperation who are looking for a source of meaning. And then go from that to even worse fucking shit like the Daily Stormer. And these recent events and national coverage whitewashes the fact that he platformed a white nationalist but only fired her once the heat was on. And 
the only reason this has like dropped off people's radars is because it isn't fresh anymore. Ezra can get away with saying, they just don't like us because we're conservative. Why are they afraid of our ideas? And these articles that were published nationally about the court case describing Ezra's legal troubles uh, and his deplatforming, they won't go into the depth of detail that I just did on this podcast to show that, no, he platformed a fucking white nationalist who promoted this bullshit on his show. And this is why, like, I wanted to do this podcast, because he's dangerous. It's not, it's not some kind of, like, joke. I mean, like, we joke. David Menzies yeah. is a fucking clown. But at the end of the day, like, he can inspire people to do really terrible shit. And that's important. So I will close with this. The media in this country does not know how to deal with white nationalists. With that depressing note out of the way, <laughs> if you enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. And if you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News, which we will be better at posting content in soon. And we also have a Discord set up. Actually, there's a lot of chatter going on in the Discord, so uh, if you want to hit that up, that's cool. And you can find the link to our Discord on our Twitter page. And I will also eventually start streaming research shows, eventually. Uh, I'm kind of looking for a job right now that takes precedent, but uh, <laughs> once we get that settled, eventually I'll start doing uh, more stuff. And lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com, and uh, we will get to some of those questions if we have any. I would also like to thank my friend Mason Tickle, who provided the Star Wars-inspired transition beats, and he has an album coming out Tuesday, and you can find it at thestriatum.com or striatum.bandcamp.com and that's striatum as s-t-r-i-a-t-u-m dot com thank you for listening and drop everything right now and get your ass to the polls and vote homeless people in LA have smartphones